a can of peas. Oh. <laughs> oh my. There we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 179, with our probably the most requested guest we've had uh, for people we have not had on yet. So thank you so much for joining us. Murray Holm, all the way from Australia. What happened? Happy to be here. There we go. Awesome. Um, so uh, we also have um, Brooke Sheffield. How's it going? Doing good. Glad to be here this evening. Uh, sitting here in our sitting here in our aquaponic greenhouse, hanging out before Thanksgiving. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Nice to see the lettuce and the cannabis all growing together, man. It's, it's so nice to see. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have Roger from True Aquaponics. How's it going? Howdy, folks. Roger here. Uh, good to be back. Good to see everybody. So uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to, to join us, uh, Murray. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, what you do, for those of you that, that don't know, and then uh, we can kind of uh, go from there. Uh, okay. My name's Murray Hallam, and we have a company called Practical Aquaponics. We started in business about 15 years ago now. Uh, when I first discovered aquaponics, you know, I didn't know what it was. I came across it and thought it was just amazing. Uh, but back then, there was not many people around who were actually doing it that you could get much information from. So we're pretty much self-taught. So we've been doing that ever since. And since then, we started making uh, kits for people, you know, actual hardware. And along the way, we started doing training. Uh, and I got to go to the USA a number of times to do seminars and and things like that. And um, and actually, I've travelled pretty much around the world to Europe doing seminars, South Africa, um, Morocco, uh, India, all sorts of places. So uh, that's our main activity now is doing training for people who want to become aquaponics experts, uh, both at home, uh, schools or farms. That's that's what we do. Awesome. So uh, you've done work on, you know, all over the world. What are some of the more interesting projects you have going on these days, uh, you know, maybe different or... Maybe some of the, the directions maybe people haven't quite, you know, uh, thought of yet that you're kind of working on right now with the different people. Well, we've got uh, one of my star students has now built his 14th farm for other people. I mean, large farms, I'm talking about, you know, one acre under greenhouse, um, each one of them. Um, and he's just embarking on expanding one of them to two acres under greenhouse. And that's, that's a lot of plants. And um, that's very successful. And the interesting direction that some of us started to go in, in uh, around the world is medicinal plants, which I know, Steve, you're very interested in, <laughs> medicinal plants, but other kinds of medicinal plants. Like, for example, a farm in Mumbai that set out to grow kale for the health food market uh, has now discovered that they've got some people, what do you call them, uh, osteopaths, who uh, use powdered kale in some of their treatments. And you know what they've discovered just recently in uh, some of their lab tests? that the kale that's grown in aquaponics is far more potent than kale that's grown regularly. So um, that's, that's an interesting thing. So they're getting a premium price for their kale now, which is being dried and powdered and sent off for medicinal purpose. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, and, and we've seen a bit of that. Um, another farm that, uh, that the same guy, Arvind Venkat, has built in um, Bangalore in India, uh, they're just switching to growing vanilla beans. 
Now, you know, that's a vanilla beans are, I think, about a thousand US a kilo. Um, very high priced item. And they're finding, once again, the test, test uh, growth they did for the vanilla beans in seven months, they got the same crop off that people that are in Indonesia, which is where most of it's grown because it's a very tropical plant. Uh, they take them about 11 to 12 months to get the same yield as they get in the greenhouse in seven months. So, you know, that's some interesting developments, I think, in, in specialty planting. I mean, typically with aquaponics, we think of it as being a food production system, which is great. Uh, that's, that's good. But it's just interesting that this um, specialty products for medicinal purposes uh, is starting to emerge. And there's some really good results uh, happening because of that. Oh yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons why we, we love to grow cannabis in aquaponics is it really does make a huge difference in essential oil production. And it doesn't matter if it's um, you know cucumbers or if it's kale or if it's strawberries or if it's vanilla beans, you're going to have that increase in terpene production in cannabinoid and, and flavonoid, not, not cannabinoid in, in those plants, but flavonoids and, and yeah. terpenes and other, other essential oil compounds that you know, really make a big difference so that you do get that better price per gram and that accelerated growth rate. And that's, that's where it really comes in and really shines compared to other grow methods. Absolutely. It's not surprising really, but you know, when, when you get reports come back like that, it's so nice, isn't it? It's so encouraging and it kind of proves the point, you know, just, it's just more proof of concept, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I know there's multiple different studies showing that increases, you know, various compounds between seven and 14% and consistently, um, you know, depending on, on what compounds are, you're referring to. So what are some of the other uh, innovations? I know you're, you're testing a, a sand-based system, which is something that uh, yeah. a lot of people are interested in. What, uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, well, we, <laughs> the, our, our business name is Practical Aquaponics, and we always take a practical approach to everything. That's what has been our mantra from day one. And we always decided we'd never talk about anything until we'd actually done it and proved it ourselves. Um, but the, the cat kind of got out of the bag with the sand thing a little bit. I refer back to the work of Dr. Mark McMurtry, who, uh, who did, did research and wrote papers on this back in the mid 1980s uh, at Cornell University. And um, his work has been largely ignored by the aquaponics industry. And I've been at a bit of a loss for a long time to understand why. I've asked questions of people, why, why is the work of McMurtry not been um, followed up on. Because when you read his papers, I, I managed to get a hold of a, 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 all his papers about 12 or 13 years ago. And um, <clears throat> I was able to look through them then and I was quite startled by the results he claimed to get. And particularly in relationship to nutrient uptake by the plants uh, from the fish waste. And uh, so I've been interested to try and experiment with that. And about four months ago, five months ago, I decided I'd give it a burst. And I cleaned out one of our little greenhouses, which is 20 metres long by five metres wide, that's 60 feet by about 16 feet in size, and decided we'd turn that over to sand beds and, and see if we could run it that way. And um, we've had a few little hiccups along the way. Uh, one thing we discovered that we didn't have enough um, fish food being eaten by the fish because the uh, initial fish tanks we used were buried in the ground. They were quite shallow tanks. And uh, every time we pumped down, the fish would get a bit spooked because the water was too shallow. So we've just changed the fish tank over and made a bigger, deeper tank for it. So we just got a few little things along the way. But in January, we'll start again um, uh, doing the lab tests. Uh, we started doing them in uh, about three months ago and we stopped when we realised we were having a problem with the fish tanks. But interestingly enough, the first lab test we did, 
uh, it came back that all the nutrients that they could test for were present in the leaf culture, the leaf tissue culture, and also in the water, which I found really interesting. They were below par, though. I've got to say they were below par, but that we put that down to being a new system. Uh, so it's going to be interesting, and we'll start again in January and run tests every month, probably for six to nine months, to see just what happens, uh, hopefully over a whole summer and then into a winter uh, before we publish our results. So when we do, we'll publish the whole thing, you know, with uh, all the lab tests and all that kind of stuff just to show what happens. It might turn out to be a fizzer. I don't know. But I just know that at this point in time, the plants are growing astonishingly well and uh, everything's humming along really nicely. Very cool. And you can absolutely grow stuff with below optimal numbers as long as you have the right microbial populations to, to make those available. Yeah, and that's what I think sand will do. Theoretically, sand will do a better job of that than, let's say, our gravel beds, our media beds. And, of course, media beds do a better job of it than, than rough beds do too. So hopefully that's what will happen. I mean, logically, it makes sense that it will work, although there are some problems that you and I discussed when we were in um, uh, Kentucky there together. You pointed out to me about the problems with getting it, um, you know, a health, health certificated because of uh, possible sure. pathogens. So there's yeah, a few things we need to work work through, uh, which will be interesting. Yeah, they don't like how close the uh, the fish waste is to the physical pro proximity with the, the surface water being that close. Whereas with the raft, at least there's a physical barrier. So yeah. sometimes it gets hard for certain types of food cert certifications. It can be tricky. Yeah, and that's fair enough, I guess. But we'll just we'll just work our way through it and we'll see what, what we come up with because. The, the really interesting thing to me about it is not so much the nutrition, although that's important, and that is the ease of, with which you can operate one of these systems. And thinking about third world countries, and when you read McMurtry's papers, that was his primary driver too, was to come up with a system that could be operated in a third world country. A minimum requirement for electricity, uh, ease of getting a hold of sand, you can get sand in almost anywhere, and you know the pumping requirements and the fish requirements uh, should work really, really easily so that we can set them up and run them entirely off solar without a problem. So we're going to set up our solar system for it next week. Our solar panels have arrived and our, our um, you know, other electronics we need to run it off solar. And uh, we believe we'll be able to run it off solar. Not, not a problem, actually. So that's, that's my interest because probably six years ago now, five years ago, I went to India to do a project and uh, it failed. <laughs> we couldn't get it set up because... We discovered if you're going to get the right answers, you need to ask the right questions. And I asked, did you have electricity? And they said, oh, yes, we've got electricity. But when I got there, I discovered that the electricity was only on for two hours a day. And then when it was on, it was very, very poor quality, you know, big fluctuations in voltage. So we couldn't do the project. And that's the downside to aquaponics in third world countries is having a reliable power source. So you need to have uh, some system that can be easily operated off solar you know, minimum of solar too, not not a great big elaborate $100,000 system. You need something that's fairly easy, can be set up in the village and people can grow stuff, you know, in remote locations really easily. Absolutely. So what so what got you started with aquaponics? I don't think I've ever heard you uh, talk about what, what got you started with this whole journey. Well, I'd like to be able to say, Steve, that I went off to university and did an MBA and planned it all, but I didn't. <laughs> it's purely an accident. Um, I'm a boat builder by trade and I've worked at home and I've, I live on a 10 acre property and I've got a shed down the back and uh, I've worked at home building boats for probably 30 years before I started doing 
aquaponics and I had a guy ring me up one day who wanted me to build a boat for him. Uh, we always build open centre console fibreglass fishing boats and um, this guy wanted a boat and he complained like a lot of these guys do that he's got to buy a bigger boat because he's got to go further out. It's not as many fish as there used to be, you know, and he's whinging away like they do. And then he said, ah, anyway, I think I might start growing my own fish at home. It was just like an offhanded comment, you know. And I said, oh, how are you going to do that? And I, it never occurred to me that you could grow your own fish at home. It seemed to such an amazing idea to me. And then he described to me aquaponics, even though he didn't call it that, but he described how you, you know, you get a tank and you put some fish in it and you pump the water through these gravel grow beds, that cleans the water and you grow plants and everything. I said, what kind of plants? He said, vegetables, like as if it was some kind of stupid question. And I said, oh, wow, that just really interested me because I'm a farmer's kid. You know, I grew up on a farm when my father small cropped and had an orchard. And, uh, you know, I, I like growing veggies. I think it's a great thing to do. And I thought, wow, what, what an amazing thing, uh, if this is really true. And, of course, back then the internet was very new. And so I Googled, um, I think I Googled, might have been Googled, I'm not sure, one of those. You know, I did a search for aquaponics because I'd discovered the name by then. And um, there was, you know, not even one page of returns on aquaponics back then. And, uh, you know, that's how new it was. And the people who were there were Nelson and Paid, uh, aquaponics.com. They were there. And I think they might be one of the first to actually have an internet presence about aquaponics. And then, of course, following that very closely behind was a fellow in Western Australia who had backyard aquaponics. And that's a fellow called Joel Malcolm, who's since gone out of the business. But anyway, that's what happens. And anyway, that's how we got started. So we went off and... And because I'm a, I'm a fiberglass boat builder, I started straight away to make some fiberglass tanks for myself and some grow beds to the design I thought would be okay. It was all guesswork, really. And it just, as it turned out, we just struck it dead right first up, which was just fortunate. And we started growing uh, stuff at home. And, of course, I put all this beside the boat shed, not up near the house, so that I could fiddle with it during work, you know, work hours. And we started growing some amazing plants and fish. And I would have people come to see me about a boat you know building a boat or whatever or come to see their boat being built what was going on and they'd say what are you doing here and I'd say oh, I'm growing these fish and plants together look it's called aquaponics and, and they would say wow that's interesting um can can you make me some fiberglass tubs for that and I said yeah okay go and see my wife in the office put your name down and we'll do it and I treated the whole thing as a bit of a hobby you know I didn't ever at that time imagine it would become a business and um one day we had one of these guys come back and he said, have you built my fiberglass tank shit for this aquaponics thing? And I said, no, I'll get around it when I'm, when I'm ready. And he got a bit angry with me actually. And, and so after he left, my wife said to me, do you realise she quickly done an add up? So we've got 25,000 bucks worth of orders here for fiberglass tanks. And I said, really? Far easier to make square tanks than boats. <laughs> so I thought, wow, we'll, we'll start swinging into this a bit. So that's how the business kind of got off to a start. And then for the training side of it, um, I set up a website because I'd gone to, to uh, technical college for a year and learned how to build websites because back then, <clears throat> you know, there was no WordPress or any of the kind of things there are now. If you wanted a website, you had to pay someone who charged you unbelievably stupid rates to do it and you couldn't service it yourself very easily, you know, like change prices or anything. You had to pay the guy again some money to do that. So I figured I'd better learn how to do my own because I wanted to build a website for my boat business, not necessarily aquaponics. But when aquaponics started to be so much fun, I thought, oh, I'll put up a website about aquaponics. So I built a, a simple website about aquaponics. And before I knew what, I was getting inquiries from all, all over the world, people asking me questions. That's, that's how it got started. 
And Sylvia Bernstein, who started off the aquaponics source in Boulder, Colorado, she actually contacted me several times about stuff. And then one day she said to me by email, would you like to come to Boulder, Colorado and do a seminar? And uh, I said, oh, yeah, you pay, I'll come. So she paid and I went. That's how I started traveling around the world, just when one thing led to another. And, of course, I've been very, very fortunate, I've got to say, because of the travel I've done and the number of places I've been and the farms I've looked at, and I've been to, I wouldn't like to guess, but definitely dozens and dozens of farms now around the world, um, and I've seen lots of stuff. And, you know, you learn a lot by observing what other people have done right and what they've done wrong. And for that reason, I was able to accumulate a lot of knowledge about the, the subject, which has gone into our training courses. So there you are, Steve. I hope that wasn't too long, but that's the story. Yeah. So, so what are some of the things that people uh, have done wrong? Uh, that, what, what are some things oh. that people uh, do wrong the most? And then maybe what's the craziest thing you've seen somebody do wrong? Well, the craziest thing I think that people do is they don't put a backup system on their fish tanks. And just this week, just this week, a student of ours has gone through our course and been taught all about it, sends me this letter with teardrops all over it, you know, about how all his fish died. And I said, what happened to your backup system? Oh, I didn't put one in. Why? Why? And, of course, I find that particularly, well, I've got to be honest, with Americans who don't bother to put a backup system in. I don't know why they don't do it because, and you see them, it only ever happens when your fish are, you know, this big and it's 12 months down the track and you're starting to think, wow, barbecue time's coming up and one night the power goes out or something happens and you lose the lot. It's devastating. It's really devastating. But people do that over and over and over. I just don't understand why. That's the first one. The second one is um, people that have raft-only systems. Now, I might offend some people by this. I hope not. But when I've travelled around the world, particularly in the USA, and I see raft-only systems because people tend to copy the UVI system and uh, they don't copy it very well either, for that matter. And uh, the number of times that I go and see farms that are raft-only farms that are exhibiting nutrient-deficient plants is probably about 95% of the time. And the sad part about it is most of the people that have that don't even know that their plants aren't good. They don't even know. So, <laughs> they've never seen a good plant. I went to visit someone, I won't mention any names, but recently who's supposed to be one of our leading researchers and his plants were the closest to dead I've ever seen. But there you go. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I went to a, a farm a couple months ago, oh, I guess it was over a year ago now, but they had so much aeration, they were they were holding their pH at 8, 8.2, because they were hyper aerating it and stabilizing the pH at that high. You know, it was just, you always get people that try to do stuff too much in aquaponics too, which is always entertaining, you know? Yeah, well, it's like my dad when he was alive, you know, I was using him as an example, you know, when he started having heart trouble, he had to take these two heart pills a day and of course in his in his mind he thought well if two were good for you then four or six would be even better and so you know you get people that do that kind of stuff with aquaponics you know and um, yeah anyway there's a lot of people out there now there's a lot of stuff on 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 youtube unfortunately we live in a, an era of of, of uh, history of the earth where anyone can be a publisher you know like 20 years ago if you want to publish a book you had to find someone who'd publish it they would edit it. They would tell you if there's mistakes in it. You know, it was quite a process. But now, anyhow, one, they start an aquaponic system today with two rusty buckets and a ball of string. And uh, next next day, they're on YouTube telling everyone how to do it. So, Oh, yeah. And they'll have you know about that, Roger, don't you? 
I'm happy to tell you how you're wrong too, right? All the time. <laughs> Two rusty buckets and a ball of string. That's freaking <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, Buddy. I'm gonna steal that. I'm gonna steal that. That reminds me of the song Two Turntables and a Microphone. I forget what the song's called, but that's just a line and it. it's that's that's hilarious. Same thing, yeah. <laughs> Full of enthusiasm, but no brains. There you go. So so you were one of the first people I saw that was growing fruit trees and, and kind of more complex um, plants in aquaponics. So why don't you tell us more about how you got into that and maybe some of the more, you know, other difficult or, or less common plants that you really, uh, you know, have come to, to love to grow in your in your systems. Well, when, when I first started doing aquaponics, I was so amazed by it. I really was, you know. I'm a farmer's kid and I, you know, I know about growing tomatoes in particular. My dad grew acres and acres and acres of tomatoes throughout my childhood and teenage years I was there. And I know about growing tomatoes. Uh, but the way they grow in aquaponics is just amazing. I mean, I was just amazed at how well they grow. So I got the very quick impression that you could grow anything you wanted to grow in aquaponics, you could grow in aquaponics. And, of course, that was not true because there are some things that are best suited in growing other methods. You know, there's that term that's used a lot in the permaculture world called uh, appropriate technology. And, you know, we have to have appropriate technology. And I just hark back to that trip I went to India where we failed to be able to build a system because uh, there was no electricity. So what we did, I was there for nine days. And so what we did is we constructed wicking beds uh, and they were able to grow veggies in their wicking beds, which was terrific. So there was a good example of appropriate technology. In that particular instance, aquaponics was not an appropriate technology for that place. Uh, and it's the same with fruit trees. We've tried all sorts of fruit trees, citrus, bananas, uh, papaya. Um, what else? Oh, we've tried some small apple trees and things like that. But I've come to the conclusion that a lot of fruit trees are much better off in a wicking bed than they are in aquaponics. Because aquaponics is a, a system that is particularly suited to growing um, fast turnover crops and crops of high value and specialty crops. That's what I believe. You know, and fast turnover crops are all your leafy greens, of course, and all that kind of thing. And then you've got your um, fruiting plants like tomatoes, cucumbers, eggplant, uh, okra, you know, all that kind of thing, which is really highly suited to growing in aquaponics. And, of course, as you, your main interest, Steve, is uh, cannabis and those kind of things, which is highly suited, uh, you know, and I'd put that under the category of, of specialty crops uh, that have high value. Uh, aquaponics is particularly suited to that. But fruit trees, now we put them, the only thing we still grow in our aquaponics is papaya, but all the rest we've put into wicking beds and they do very well. And one of the last times I heard you talk, uh, it wasn't this last time, but the time before, you were talking about growing things for uh, cosmetics. Yeah, we've got a couple of guys that came and did our training course down here in Brisbane, just our four-day course from South Korea. And, uh, you know, just like a lot of students, they sat through the course and didn't say too much and off they went. Anyway, about two years later, they uh, started sending me emails and inviting me to go and look at their farm. And uh, I thought, oh, yeah, but I don't really want to go to South Korea, especially on my own dime. <laughs> so I put it off for quite a while, but they became increasingly insistent that I go and have a look at their farm. So finally, I decided I'd go. So up we went and made the arrangement. And away we went. And when we got there, I found that they had 15,000 square metres on the greenhouse. Now, that's 165,000 square feet, I think, uh, converted to square feet. 
uh, or 162,000, something like that. An enormous, <laughs> enormous system growing leafy greens and, um, you know, highly successful business. At that time, they had a staff of 60 people. Their turnover, their, their gross turnover was 1.25 million US dollars a month. Now, that's an aquaponics farm, isn't it? Eh? Fantastic. I was just blown away by it. Anyway, as we're walking around the farm, we were there for three days, you know, filming. We filmed it and we've included it in our online course, some of the details about that. But they just, as a casual off-handed remark, said, oh, we're going to increase our turnover by 19%. And I thought, no business can do that, 19%, in one month. He said in one month. And I thought, so I questioned him. I said, you, you sure you mean 19%? You don't mean 9%? Even 9%, most businesses would say, what are you doing, selling drugs or something? But no, he said 19%. I said, well, how are you going to do that? And what they had been running some trials with some cosmetic companies to grow uh, cucumber and some different varieties of cilantro for use in being uh, converted into cosmetics. Very high value, very high price. And he reported the same thing. He said that the uh, lab tests they've done have shown that the, um, the um, you know, defined structure of the plant is much, much more potent when grown in aquaponics than it is grown in hydroponics or in the dirt, even in an organic, well-organised organic farm. It's much more potent. So there's another example, another little bit of um, information coming back about the microbiology that exists in a well-run aquaponics system that provides the plant with, with the stuff it needs to be really good. Uh, awesome. So, uh, so tell us more about your online education classes. A lot of people don't know about the, the classes that you have. Yeah, we've got online courses. It's called the aquaponicsdesigncourse.com. It's just one word, aquaponicsdesigncourse.com. And uh, we've been running that now for, well, we're just about to finish the 10th time we've run it. And uh, we've put a good number of students through it from all around the world. Last count, we'd had students from 108 countries. That's amazing, isn't it? And um, the main, the first group is the USA, of course, they're the biggest group. Second group is Australia. Third group is uh, India. And India is rising up fast as a big, big uptake of aquaponics and things like that because they've got a massive food crisis facing them. You know, big population. Uh, a lot of their land has been totally destroyed by the use of artificial fertilisers, et cetera. So there's a massive interest in um, India for alternative modern day farming methods and aquaponics of course is right at the top of that list so we're finding every course we run higher and higher proportion of indian students so that's interesting but yeah now the course runs over eight weeks and uh i think it's pretty good but then i'd expect me to say that wouldn't you but we get we get really good reviews from our students i mean really really good reviews from our students and uh yeah what else can i say steve i'm not sure what else to say. <laughs> Wonderful. We had a, a question from chat. They wanted to know about um, uh, what are your recommendations as far as, you know, general pest management practices for aquaponics? Well, um, we tell this secret to our students who pay us money, but I'll tell you today. <laughs> we, we've, we've tried all sorts of stuff, believe you me, all sorts of potions over the years. And it's finally come down to two things that work extraordinarily well. And that's neem oil and white oil, especially when both sprayed together. Now, here in Australia, and I'm sure in the USA and most parts of the world, you can buy both neem oil and white oil, uh, organically certified. And we spray three times a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. 
and I'll invite anyone to come into my greenhouses anytime and see if you can find an insect. I'm telling you, it's amazing. But the trick is you've got to work, you've got to spray three times a week because neem oil doesn't actually, it's not, a, it's not an insect killer. It's more an insect repellent. So if you spray three times a week, you'll gain the protection. When you're spraying with organic materials like that, you've got to be really consistent in the way you spray. We had a girl come down from uh, South Korea <clears throat> to do our training course, two training courses ago. And uh, when we were talking about that, and I said, you have to spray three times a week, it was quite funny. And she said, three times a week? And I said, yeah, three times a week. And she said again, three times a week? And she uh, repeated it several times. I said, yeah, that's it. The aquaponics, organically, if you're going to grow organically, pure and clean, it's got this dirty four-letter word attached to it. And that dirty four-letter word is W-O-R-K. You have to do some work. And unfortunately, aquaponics seems to attract a lot of people, and I'm sure this is with cannabis too, that think they're going to run their business from their fifth-floor office and they will deliver the seeds in by, by courier and three months later, the stuff will come pre-packaged to their office ready to sell. You know, there's no work in between. It's all automatic. And we get questions all the time. How can I automate the process? And my answer is get some extra humans and put them in your greenhouse because, you know, farming is work. And if you don't get in there and if you don't enjoy working with plants, sorry. And people, fact, I think it's very enjoyable myself. I love it. Oh, yeah, it's very zen. But people often, too, will take, you know, people that are un, not trained at all as the people that are doing their watering or their other things where they have to be around almost all the plants on a regular basis. Those should be some of your highest trained people looking for insects, you know, or, or, or scouting for this and that, you know, those not not the lowest paid person. You know what I mean? So people have kind of a, a lot of times often a backwards way of looking at, at, at staff and, and farms. And uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, you've got high you've got high value crops, Steve, particularly in what you're interested in, and you know even our lettuce. Just go to the lowest value crop of all lettuce. You know, if you study the University of Virgin Island papers that Dr. Uh, James Ricosi wrote, his best profit crop was lettuce, even though it's the lowest per unit uh, value crop. But you know, awful lot of lettuce eaten in this world. And if you can produce really good lettuce, you're laughing. Another good thing about those quick turnover crops is too. The faster the crop grows, the less likelihood there is of anything going wrong. You know, if you're going to try and raise a prize Hereford bull, it can take seven or eight years. In, a lot, in seven years, there's a lot of things can go wrong. If you're going to grow a lettuce over four weeks, not much can go wrong in four weeks. Absolutely. So what are some of the unique challenges to growing in Australia compared to some other places that you've had a chance to work with? At the moment, our big problem is water. We're going through a massive, massive drought. In some places in Australia, haven't had any rain whatsoever for five years nothing and it's just a disaster we've just run out of water our dams are now dry we're starting to buy water for our greenhouses which is a bit of a worry because if we don't get rain in the next couple of weeks i'll have to close one greenhouse down just no water there's just no water it's a chronic problem in australia is water it really is and yet our bright brilliant governments are not building any dams they haven't built any dams for over 40 years and one of our stupid state governments has said there's no point in building new dams. Because of global warming, it's not going to rain anymore, so there's no point in building a dam. Can you follow that absurd logic? Yeah, that's, that's a little crazy. You're not even going to try and retain water. That's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. 
to say the least. So what so what are the popular fish to grow down in Australia? A lot of people uh, aren't familiar with what you guys are growing down there as far as fish. Well, our, our favourite fish here is one called jade perch, which is uh, an Australian native fish. The highest source of omega-3 fatty acids on the planet, four times more than the next nearest fish. And it's a really great fish, very hardy, very similar to tilapia in its requirements, you know, for water temperature and food and all that kind of thing. So it's our favourite fish here. Very easy to obtain in Australia. Um, you know, you can get it at the hatcheries and all that kind of stuff. Uh, tilapia is banned down here, actually. You're not allowed to have it, even though there's lots of it around. Um, it's funny, I get guys come to see me about their aquaponics and they'll ask some questions about what should they do with this or that. And I'll say, what kind of fish are you running, mate? And they'll say, oh, I'd rather not say. <laughs> so you know straight away they're running tilapia. But that's a bit funny, but anyway. Yeah, no, we've got, we've got some really amazing fish here. Uh, jade perch, silver perch, they're both cousins genetically. And then you've got Murray cod, which is a massive fish, can grow up to, I think the biggest one ever has been recorded, 105 kilos, that's 230 pounds, something like that. Uh, so they grow very well in aquaponic systems as well. We've got some specimens here that are three, four, five kilos, that's six, seven pounds in size. And of course, barramundi, and uh, there's a few other minor ones that are unique to Australia. But yeah, no, the fish are not a problem. Plenty of lovely fish. Murray, you, you've been in uh, aquaponics quite a bit longer than I have, obviously. Um, I think I met you first time back in 2012 on your forum. Uh, but at this point, eight years, seven years later, uh, I'd like to ask, uh, in, in 10 years, where do you see aquaponics going? Where do you see, where do you see it evolving to? I think it will just keep growing. I really do, Roger. I can't see how it won't. In fact, I think we're still very, very, very much at the beginning because there's so many people have still never heard of it. And particularly when I think of government, um, you know, they don't even know about it. You know, they talk about agriculture, but they don't even know about it. And the universities, I mean, uh, you, you see in America now, some of the universities are starting to wake up to this new thing called aquaponics. It's still very, very much in its infancy. And I think it's got a long way to go. There's a big prep, there's a big penetration of aquaponics into the backyards in Australia and in the USA, I'm pretty sure. Um, but commercially in Australia, it's still very, very... We're building a farm right now in far north Queensland. We've just finished one about 150 k's from there. So we don't have very many farms in Australia yet, but it's coming. And uh, I think it's got a long way to go, Roger. I really do. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think you'll be selling stuff for a long time, Roger. <laughs> even if i'm not it's not about that yeah uh, i know brooke had a few questions he wanted to ask you yeah yeah um to kind of follow up on that same kind of kind of line you see a lot of advertisements not really advertisements but headlines of these bigger corporations shutting down stuff here in the United States, like operations will pop up and they'll close real fast. It seems like some corporate interest um, don't, don't really understand what it takes to set up these big operations. And so I've seen a lot of people who were maybe overcapitalized, but didn't deliver on operations. And I wonder if you could speak to why it is that we have enough money to build these aquaponic situations, but some people are trying and failing 
and we're not really seeing the the commercial fruition of this yet. While we see it everywhere in the backyards, I mean, clearly I know how to how to grow this. Why can't these big corporations make this happen? Um, can you speak to that a little bit? I think the ones I've seen anyway. I can't say this is true for everyone, but the ones that I've seen don't don't go into it properly. Uh, most often they go and get advice from someone who's who's from a university who actually doesn't know anything about it. Um, just to give you an example of that kind of thinking, I just got invited before to go to Kuwait about five or six weeks ago and help the government there. But when they discovered I didn't have a PhD, they cancelled the appointment. Now, you know, who, who are they going to get? They'll get some guy with a PhD who, who's probably got a PhD in underwater basket weaving or something like that, you know, to tell them how to do a, an aquaponic system. I think a lot of people go off half-cocked. I really, really do. Just because they're a big company, they've got a lot of money, doesn't mean to say they're smart. And the ones I've seen fail too are ones who've done it under lights. Once you start doing stuff under lights, you know, because of where you live, you might have to have lights, that's true. But you you really got a huge cost penalty before you even start if you've got to run lights. Uh, so, you know, that's another area. You've probably seen some of those farms in, uh, in New York, New York State. There's been three or four there that have been started up in warehouses, etc. that have failed. And they've all been under lights, you know, with, with racking systems, things like that. Um, but look, any business, I don't care if it's a news agency or it's a, a motor mechanic business or whatever, the most important thing of any business is the marketing. It should be, you know, the 80-20 rule, 80% marketing, 20% work. Now, if you don't get out and find a good place to sell your plants and your product, you're going to farm. It's just that simple. It doesn't matter how good your plants are or how clever you are building greenhouses. If you haven't sussed the marketing out, then it's not going to happen. One disappointment I have, because believe it or not, myself, a guy from the West Indies, um, and also Sylvia Bernstein and uh, Gina Cavallero were the ones who started off the Aquaponics Association. We got our heads together and we started off. We got it going. And one of the dreams we had was that the Aquaponics Association would get into a situation where it marketed the benefits to the public in general of aquaponic produce, what it means to get aquaponics produce. Now, unfortunately, that's never happened yet with the association. And I understand that takes a lot of money to do that. But when I was there just, just a few weeks ago over there with um, with Steve, is I had some discussions with some very interesting people that have got a bit of money. And I put that to them. That's what the industry needs. You need to have an industry association, which we've got in America, but that actually does spend most of its energy promoting aquaponics to the public. So that people know they're going to be able to buy pure food and pure food's it. That's what it's about. It's not about the biggest lettuce or anything else. It's about pure food and people want to buy pure food. That's not doused in chemicals and they're, they're the target market. And unless you target those people and you get them to give you $3 for the lettuce instead of $1.50, then, you know, you, you're going to fail. I'm sorry. That's, and that's the same in any business. If you don't have your customers, what are you going to do? And so many people get so wrapped up in building the greenhouse and, getting the plants to grow, and they forget about the marketing. Yeah, we, we talk about that all the time. We, um, we're in the hemp industry, so we're growing that specialty crop. And that's an oversaturated market in some degrees, and some, in some perspectives not. So um, I have a lot of clients that we have to tell over and over, I don't care whatever you're growing, whether it's hemp or tomatoes or cucumbers, if you don't know how to sell it, it doesn't matter. And so I think aquaponics has a big problem with the social perception 
because people don't know how to tell that story to the end consumer. The restaurants don't know how to tell that story. And so I try to tell that story um, to my buyer, but it's best done direct to consumer. And so I, that's one of the things I see, one of the hurdles of being an aquaponic farmer is that no one knows their story. So unless I'm right in front of my buyer, I really can't get that story across. So true. That's, and that's the role the association should be playing. Uh, they're, they're the ones who are, who are well placed to do that job, but they need money, you know, and you're talking about a lot of money too. We need, to, we need to find some person like Mr. Buffett or somebody who's got a lot of money who, you know, sees the social benefits of aquaponics and, and you know, the benefit of pure food. You know, you know what we need, you know, and this is a terrible thing to say, what we need in Australia anyway is some kind of food crisis to get people to wake up to the fact that, you know, it's not just a given that you can go into any supermarket any day of the week and pick up good, good produce. You know, um, other parts of the world are waking up to it, like, like India, for example, you know, where it's life and death. You've got, to, you've, got to get, you've got to find somewhere to buy some food. And if you've got a bit of money, you want to buy good food. Whereas here in Australia, that's all. You can walk into any supermarket here in Australia and buy anything you want if you've got a credit card. And, you know, there's no crisis to it. There's no imperative. There are obviously a group of people and a growing number of people who want to buy pure food. And once you, we tell all our students, once you forget the primary reason, and that is pure food, and this would be the same with growing your cannabis. If you forget the, the whole idea of purity, you've lost the plot. You might as well just let them go buy whatever they want from anywhere else. Because the whole reason in my mind for growing things aquaponically from a marketing point of view is pure food. That's the reason. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think, unfortunately, in the United States, we have a real effort of organic farmers saying that we're not a part of that or we're not as good as they are. And um, I, unfortunately, have to time and time again explain the benefits, explain the water conservation, the lack of chemicals, um, the ability to produce protein, um, you know, the ability to produce on land that doesn't have any soil at all. Yeah. And so unfortunately, I wish, I wish everyone that saw the benefits that we do could come together. But even here in the United States, we've got organic dirt farmers that are against us. And so that's a tough fight for us as well um, in yeah. light of everything else. Yeah, that, I think they're scared of aquaponics, actually, to be honest with you. And the hydroponic industry is definitely scared of aquaponics. Because, you know, we've got such a great story to tell. We really, really have that none of them can match. Uh, we, we've actually not gone for organic certification here. Right? We've got a certification that's called uh, chemical-free certification. And uh, I think that's much more meaningful because, you know, Roger's just stuck his finger up. I think it means more, to be honest with you, than, than organic certification. You know, because you, you just do a bit of digging about organic certification. And you've, you've, it's not hard to dig up on the internet stories on farmers doing the midnight spray, you know, <laughs> because if you're trying to keep keep the insects down and you've got organic certification, it's hard work unless you know unless you really know what you're doing. And the temptation to go down to the Monsanto shop and buy some good old poison and spray it around the place at midnight, it's very high. And a lot of them do it. You know, there you go. Oh, you, you know can't do that in aquaponics. You can't do that in aquaponics, can you? You can't do that. You can't do that. Can't do that with cannabis because they test every ten pounds of our plant material. <laughs> well, that's that's good. That's a good thing, see? 
There you go. Food purity, purity of product. Oh, not it's only that. Good. So you're 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 seeing genes from cannabis now being put in tomatoes and peppers to speed up time of flowering, and you're seeing test results for pesticide residue applying to vegetables in the U.S. now from the cannabis industry. So the cannabis industry is spilling over in good ways in terms of the regulatory side for our agriculture industry. Maybe they might not see it that way, but I do. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's a good idea, I think. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I, just wanted to, I wanted to talk just to what you guys were saying too, is that, you know, we're, especially with now with the soil guys, and, and it was funny that you mentioned the soil, talking to soil people used to be the thing that intimidated me the most in aquaponics. And, and after talking at the regenerative, you know, shout out to Josh and Layton for putting on the regenerative um, conference. I know they're putting on another one this year. I'll be in Africa, but uh, they're, they're going to rock it again this year. Um, uh, it, you know, um, it's after talking there and talking to a lot of these soil people, I know this, especially the first time I got, I spoke uh, uh, right, right after uh, um, uh, Green Source Gardens, which is arguably probably some of the most hardcore soil only people out there. And uh, it was very intimidating. And now after hanging out with these people and, and really getting to know them and talking to them, you know, we're, we're all speaking the same language. We're all talking about microbially biodiverse uh, production to get an increase in the plant's immune system so that we can get that increase in terpenes and cannabinoids and flavonoids. It doesn't matter if it's cannabis or if it's peppers uh, to make them more hot. You know, a, a healthy soil or a healthy aquaponic system, if we're talking aquatic soil or terrestrial soil, both of them are microbiodiverse, healthy food webs that provide lots of different nutrients with complex food webs of their own. One's aquatic, one's soil. But other than that, they're the same, you know, in terms of, of complexity and, and, and what's going on. You know, we should stop even referring to it as, as, as hydroponics or, or even water, refer to it as aquatic soil. That's what we're doing. We're making aquatic soil. You know, that's the only difference. And if we talk about it that way, it makes the argument a lot harder, you know. Yeah, I don't think the hydroponic guys, first of all, I own hydroponic grow stores in multiple states. I think the hydroponic industry has just as much to benefit as anybody from the concept of aquaponics. There's so much um, of the same equipment we use. I don't think there's anything to fight from the hydroponic guys. I think aquaponics is just this next level. From a pesticide standpoint, you know, we have the living canary in the coal mine. We have our fish integrated. So if something can't grow in our system because of pesticides, we'll know that first and foremost. In the cannabis industry, um, like you said, Steve, I love to see this stuff feeding over to our food. People are asking questions about what are we putting in our food? What are we putting in our cannabis? Um, again, I think aquaponics answers a lot of those different questions in regards to how can we do all of this sustainably um, and safely. But um, again, we gotta stop fighting between hydroponic guys and organic soil guys and who's USDA organic, because ultimately we have the same goal. It's to grow nutrient dense food that our families can enjoy and that we can feel good about. And I, I don't think the mechanism is an argument anymore. It's about um, just cooperating and doing the right thing together. Yeah, oh, it's good. If you can do it, right, why not? It's also like Steve said a minute ago uh, about it being, uh, uh, you know, aquatic soil or whatever. We, you know, he mentioned Josh and Layton. Well, what they've done is 
they they've got some aquaponic systems, but they they're moving into where they're going to grow the fish, and then they're going to use the water from the fish tanks to water soil in a natural farming way instead of actually running an aquaponic system. So you are it's really broaching it's changing over in that respect, big time. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people that take Mr. Green Jeans does my partner in the hemp company here. He does. He's he grew some beautiful stuff this year, and the only way he got his aquaponics was taking it out of a. He had a swimming pool in the backyard. He put fish in, and they last. He lives in an island out there, and it worked out. He kept it right, and he watered. And I'm gonna tell you what I tasted some of his product uh, in the last couple of weeks, and he did one hell of a job. So that method works. You know, it's yeah. but you were right. You, you hydroponics is definitely part of aquaponics because without uh, hydroponics, there wouldn't have been the systems. And then you add a fish tank. You know, and of course your siphons and all that. But yeah, now we're just saying, well, let's grow fish. And I think that's actually the way I'm going to do because it's going to be easier for me monetarily. Is I'm going to think I'm going to grow fish like I planned, but instead of running everything aquaponic systems, I'm just going to use the fish water, and then I'm going to use natural farming and regenerative type methods of farming, and you know, and then add the fish water for my nitrogen. And I've already seen some results that I'm in love with for. You know, so that I've seen, you know, witness from a guy that hired me as a consultant, and it turns out he's keeping up with me now because he reads books all the time. I can't, but uh, y'all know that. But uh, I'll give it back to you. I just wanted to throw that in there that I very much agree with that. It's it's not to I be mean, arguing with anybody. It's about producing right good here. food. So that's we, what we, we do right here. We're we're taking the water right out of the system. We're feeding that into these living beds over here. We're feeding into our cannabis back here. Because ultimately, if we find that water balances the life inside those pots, whether or not they're attached to the system or not, when we give that living water with all that with all that you know, potent power in it, it's basically um, giving a homeostasis to the plant. Um, so yet we use that as the basis of our feed inside the nursery here. Yeah, you want all those microbes, man. You're throwing microbes like crazy in there, man. Yeah. Hmm. Love it. Nice, nice setup you got there too. Look, reminds me of mine a little bit. It's got mine's, mine's tore up and filthy right now. So, all right. So there's, we got a question from a, uh, a viewer for Murray. Uh, Groza asks, uh, do you worry about produce grown aquaponically having too high of a nitrate level? Uh, uh, he's, he says he was concerned about it while juicing uh, produce for his dad's cancer uh, when they were fighting that. No, not at all. In aquaponics, take up what they want. Sorry. Plants only take up what they need. Exactly right. That's so true, Roger. Absolutely true. In a natural system where you're relying on, on, uh, you know, the microbes, the protozoas, you know, all that stuff and the mycorrhizal fungi to do the the job of delivering the nutrients to the plants, the plants only take up what they need. They ignore the rest. Job done. That's how it works in nature. You don't go into the rainforest and find that some plants are growing better than others because they're got more of one thing or the other. Nature knows how to balance it out. Nature knows how to do that. So what uh, what are some of the nutrient issues that you see out there, uh, you know, commonly in, in aquapon- especially the larger scale aquaponic systems? You talking to me? Yeah. Oh, well, the three main ones, that's potassium, calcium, and, and iron are the three main ones. But of course, in, in water-only systems, raft-only systems, people often, as, as um, Roger will know, people often have multiple nutrient deficiencies um, of all sorts of things, you know, especially if they're using cheap rubbish fish food to feed their fish 
or they haven't got enough fish in the system. Um, you know, the system needs to be balanced. Like nature, nature wants to go to balance. That's what nature wants to do. And if we're going to create an artificial system, you know, in a confined space, which is what we do in a greenhouse, we've got to go to all the trouble to make sure we've got a balance. We've got the right amount of fish and we've got the right ingredients to make it all work. And if we do that, it works splendidly well. If you don't do that, well, then you're going to have deficiencies. It's just really quite simple. I'd like to add one thing to that, to end on, a, on that question that we were just given. Uh, and what we're saying here all depends on you keeping up when having your pH correct and stuff like things like that. Because yes, nitrogen can cause harm to plants if your pH is off in a certain direction. Yeah. So, you know, so it's all about when we say a plant will only take up what it needs and then that's it is when you're, everything is in balance, like Murray said. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's really not hard to do once the system's established. You might have a bit of trouble initially when you're setting things up and getting it to balance, but once you've got it balanced, it just rocks along. And, you know, we, we have people, you know, that are hardcore farmers. They've been farming all their lives. But once they start doing aquaponics, once they get their head around it, they say, look, this is the easiest, easiest farming I've ever done and easiest to understand and follow. You know, if you were going to go down the chemical nutrient path, you know, of, of artificial fertilisers and all that sort of thing, you know, you have to have a, a bloke with a law degree telling you how to do it because it gets so complicated and, and large corporations want to keep it complicated as well. They, they want to keep it that way because while they've got it complicated, they've got you buying stuff. That's the way I see it anyway. I got lucky. Oh. I had a guy from Dave Hill from South Africa who was the state guy, taught me how to make my hydroponic nutrients from salts and bags and chelates originally. So I was lucky with that. And then I met Steve and them and now I did a whole right and left turn and go in all kinds of different directions trying to get into the aquaponics and natural farming more. And that's all I'm doing. I'm not even uh, doing the hydroponics anymore. Yeah. There you go. It's all good. I think it is anyway. Uh, so what, what are some of the stuff, I guess, maybe you, you wish people knew more about that are interested in getting aquaponics? Because a lot of people are going to listen to this and, and want to get much more involved with aquaponics, uh, uh, and, and especially after, you know, learning more about you. What is kind of a nice advice you have for newer people into aquaponics, and then maybe some advice for people that have been in it for a long time? Well, the advice to new people is to make sure you do your homework. And I mean, that's a pretty broad statement, I know. But, uh, you know, don't just, don't just believe the first YouTube clip you see. Or worse still, go to a Facebook page and ask a question and get answers from people that started three weeks ago. I mean, you've got to be a little bit discerning in where you get your information from. There's lots of info out there, but unfortunately, a lot of it is just rubbish information. So, you know, do your homework and use, you know, grade the stuff by using a bit of common sense. There's nothing magic about aquaponics. Some people think that there's some kind of magical thing about it, you know, you you put the fish in the water and, you know, sudden, suddenly some magic happens and it all just happens. You know, we did a consultancy in Kuala Lumpur about a year ago now and this architectural firm wanted me to go there and tell them how they were going to grow fish around the borders of this high-rise building. They built troughs around the building and they just couldn't get their heads around the fact that they couldn't put 6,000 fish in each trough. And, you know, what they were proposing was totally illogical. Even by the, the bloke down the paddock digging a ditch would know it was illogical. And I know that's an extreme example, but, you know, use your common sense and, and you know, do some good training. That always helps. 
And, and then what about people that have been doing this a long time, maybe trying to get to the next level? Well, if you want to get to the next level, what does that mean? I mean, does it mean you have gone from, you're going to go from the backyard to a farm, maybe? Uh, I would say, because uh, we were talking about this a little bit about when we were out there in Kentucky, but like people that are sick and tired of just doing lettuce and aquaponics, uh, what, what, how do they step up to, to doing more complicated stuff, especially on a larger scale? Well, I think you've got to find a good product. That's it to start with, like you guys with your, your medical marijuana and um, we talked about the, the guys in uh, South Korea that are doing the stuff for cosmetics. And, you know, to me, that's the next level. Um, and also the farm in Bangalore that's now growing vanilla beans. You know, the next level is finding that specialty product. And you're only going to find that by doing good marketing, going out and asking questions of your customers and finding out what they actually want. To me, that's the next level. Because once you follow the rules, you can build a really good farm and have it running really well. Um, and it becomes, you know, quite routine to make it work. Um, so next level means, in my mind anyway, is finding that specialty product that might have some special requirements that you're going to have to learn to do. But, you know, satisfying the customer with a great product, that's the next level in my view. I think it's also a good, uh, if I can add to that, uh, from being a, a producer of um, of fruits of peppers and stuff as opposed to cannabis because of where I live. I found that you go to you go to sections in regard to what you said, Murray, you go to you go to the markets and you see what they don't have that they want. And, and they're glad to tell you what like you can go down there and say, well, what is it that you'd really love to have around here? And then you have to look at the market price and what it's going to cost you to grow and see if you have any margin to be able to produce that and still make because I'm not out to make a million bucks. I mean, it'd be nice. I'd love to. But I just want to be able to eat every week and pay my bills every month and, and, and live in peace and quiet. Right, right. Without anybody telling me what I can or cannot do on my own land. And, but that's, I think that goes hand in hand. You, you, like you said, you have to do your homework, you know, to get to that next level, you've got to have a plan. You've got to consider marketing and you definitely can go to any market anywhere, especially, you know, it's, uh, they're all different. It doesn't matter whether you're going to a, a, a farmer's market and they'll still do that. I mean, and you might make more money at a farmer's market than you do in a big grocery chain. Because I know they're always trying to rob you of your margins and keep you down and, and beating you up and making you package things different and cost you more money that way. But it's still nice to have that regular customer in check. And then, of course, if you're if you're a big, if you love cooking, there's another way of going about it. You go and you go to every restaurant in town and you ask the chefs what they want and you can go do, you know, live live green, you know, microgreens or anything like that, that you could give them live trays every week. And uh, Josh did, used to do that before he got into cannabis. And that's all. I just wanted to add that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah fair enough. We, we had a person approach us just two weeks ago here, one of these um, alternative medicine companies that wants a particular plant that they're currently importing from Europe somewhere. And they're buying the dried leaves of this plant and paying 50 US dollars a pound for it. And then they have to freight it to Australia, of course. So there's a specialty product that's just popped up right in front of me that I never even knew existed. And so we've just planted four of the plants this week we got from them. Uh, we had to make sure that it wasn't illegal in Australia, which it's not. And, um, you know, there's a good opportunity there. But interestingly enough, the firm that wants to buy this stuff locally, now they told me they're paying 50 US dollars a pound for it in, in Europe. Then they've got to freight it here. So by the time they get it here, it's probably costing them 100 US close to probably a pound 
And I said, how much would you be willing to pay? And they said, oh, $10 a pound. I said, go away. You know, you've got to be crazy. Let's pay me $50 the same as you pay the Europeans, but you'll have better supply, better quality. So, you know, you, could be, you become a price commander, not a price getter, you know, like not a price, not, not their price, it's your price. There's especially products out there everywhere. we just got to find them. Yeah, I think that's one of the, you know, really large untapped areas of our market, you know. And you, you've seen that more than, than most people in terms of diversity of crop, which is really cool. Yep, I reckon it's, there's a lot out there. you just got to get out and ask questions. You know, this one bloke said once, I've got an MBA. And I said, well, that's nice. He said, but actually, I've got an MBWA. I said, what the hell's that? He said, that's management by wandering around. And I've never forgotten. I thought, what a great idea. A smart guy wanders around and watches and looks and sees what's going on. You know, so many people look, but they don't see. I've got, I've got people working in my greenhouse like that. <laughs> they walk past dead plants. They don't even see them. They looked at them, but didn't see them. It's the same with opportunity. You've got to look for it and see it. When it's there. I have that happen all the time, Murray. All the time. Yeah. I had a person say, I walked in. Steve, you, you will appreciate this, but hate it. It's been about a week since Flip. And I haven't been there. Been at a trade show. There's a male popped up in the middle of the greenhouse. A male cannabis plant in the middle of a light depth greenhouse with 500 plants. I've been at a trade show for a week and employees been walking around doing chores. Nobody saw the male plant just sticking up in the middle of the greenhouse. Yeah, they look, but they don't see. <laughs> um, it's wild. It's wild. I got a question for it, Murray. What, um, other than fish, whoa, did you hear that? What was that? Right when I said fish, I had a bunch of fish jump out of the tank. I did uh, hear that, yeah. That was fish. No, they literally, I said fish, and they just jumped. That's a 500-gallon tank right behind me. Aquaman. Other than fish, what are you guys growing? Are we doing any crawfish, any shrimp? Nah. I, nah. I, got, I got questions on that. No, I, I, this is unique to me. I, I don't believe in doing anything with fish that's difficult. Um, you know, grow the easy ones. Because fish is not a big part of the market. The major part of your market is going to be your plants, whatever they are. And the fish is going to be um, a nice little add-on. But don't grow anything that's difficult. That's what I tell all our students. Grow the easy stuff. The tendency, unfortunately, when you're first doing aquaponics is, especially home people, you know, in the backyard, they get so excited about the possibilities. They want to grow every strange plant and every strange fish you can possibly think of. You know, like Jerusalem artichokes. Who eats them? Probably nobody. But people try and grow these strange things. Grow lettuce, cucumbers, tomatoes, and stuff that you can eat every day. And the same with fish. Grow a fish that you like to eat and is easy to grow. Hello. Uh, crawfish are too hard in my view. Although some people do it with success. Good on them. Um, shrimp, same thing. Uh, you know, you'd have to, in my mind, you'd have to have a good marketing in a farm setting. You'd have to have a really good marketing reason to want to do that. You'd have to have a demand at a high price to want to do that. Otherwise, grow the easy things. We actually at uh, Aquaponics Source grew an artichoke in the showroom. 
that people don't realize artichokes are massive plants. Broccoli, a lot of your brassicas as well are huge plants. And if you don't have that plant into your factory, people will put them into like lettuce spaced beds and it's just they're like yeah. destroying everything. Exactly. Like I, I won't grow zucchini anymore in my greenhouse. It just takes up too much room. Just too much room. Better off to grow it outside in a wicking bed and out in the paddock somewhere. Awesome. Well, uh, is there anything else you wanted to, to educate our, our listeners on before we let you go? I don't want to tie up your whole day. I don't know. Just when, when you do whatever you do, have fun. I mean, I've never had so much fun in all my life. So I have <laughs> since I've been doing aquaponics. You know, if it's not fun, then – but aquaponics is fun. The one thing that amazes me about aquaponics, when I was building boats, I always tell people that, you know, out of 10 boats I build, one customer is a delight to work for. Customer number 10 was sent to me from hell. You know, and you've got all that in between. But in aquaponics, everybody's nice. Have you noticed that, Steve? You're dealing with lovely people all the time. So <laughs> what a great business to be in. And, you know, you're having fun. And, you know, I had a birthday the other day. I just turned 73. I know you find that hard to believe, but it's true. <laughs> and I've got no plans to stop work because I'm having so much fun. I really am. And, uh, you know, my kids, say, my kids say, when are you going to retire, Dad? And I say, I already am. Because I get sick of people asking that question. So I tell them now, I say, yeah, I've actually retired. We've got this amazing hobby. Well, you're a hoot. I didn't tell you that. It pays really well, and I'm having a ball. <laughs> I, want to, I want to throw one thing in. I'm, I'm dealing with a young lady in, in my Facebook group right now, and she's just wanting to get into aquaponics. She's about to come into some money from an insurance settlement or something, and she's trying to just cobble together all these different ideas of raising shrimp and raising fish and raising – plants and using all these different hybrid methods trying to do it I, I think it's important to, to tell people to try to keep it simple especially when they're first starting out and and then grow into it um, and that's just something i see all too often in the teaching world of aquaponics uh, people come out and just say hey do all this stuff it'll work it'll be great you'll love it and and they will love it but chances are they're going to fail uh so might want to touch on that so, hey the so other roger so true, Roger. So true. Uh, well, there's two Rogers tonight. We we got a running joke about this. The other Roger, you know, or I'm the I don't know. We don't know. It depends on the which other. one's Roger the Dodger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was called Roger Dodger when I was a kid, but I didn't never did like that. But uh... <laughs> you've lost your sound, Roger. It's gone. All right. So um, uh, go ahead, Roger. Did you want to answer? Or I'm sorry, Murray. Oh. Did you want to answer? I didn't hear what he said. Roger cut his own. Story. I was, I got cut off or I cut myself off. I, I, I don't see you too good. I was trying to add on to what Roger said that make sure when you get into fish also, if you plan on selling it, you have to go in. That's another whole thing aside from produce. That's a DNR natural resources type, depending on yeah. what your government is. Now you're going to have to go through all kinds of inspections and all to be able to. So you, if you sell fish here where I live, if I raise fish, I have to sell them live just like they caught them in the lake, then they have to butcher them. I cannot butcher them. And then it's real easy for me to do that. And you can make decent money for that. But if you want to sell them butchered on ice or something, you have to jump through hoops. And it's almost as bad or worse than trying to be a, a, a like you said, a USD organic grower. And that's all I wanted to say about that. Yeah, that's so true, Roger. So true. Um, so, so, so uh, uh, did you have uh, anything you wanted to say just about, uh, you know, to add on to the, about people overcomplicating? I, I always recommend that with the cannabis people is like, look, just do koi or tilapia to start with. Don't do anything fancy. Get everything else smoothed out. Then complicate that if you feel like doing it later. 
Uh, the other issue you have in the States with the cannabis stuff is the fact that you simply cannot get a, can a meat processing license with a cannabis facility because the cannabis inspect or the meat processing inspectors are federal employees and cannabis is still schedule one. Oh. So they can't legally enter your facility. <laughs> oh, okay. So you have to go through a university or a third party company or a, a company that does, you know, a third party fish slaughtering or something like that, uh, uh, unless we have, you know, other means of, of doing it. But a lot of, in a lot of states that they won't even touch you. And the logistics of that will just drive you freaking crazy. So just make sure you look up and do your research first before you. You're saying something, Brooke, or? Uh, no, I, I just agree. I, I sell all my fish live. Even trying to do any of the processing is overcomplicated with the regulations, and it'll drive your price down. Uh, we go to Asian markets and just pack on ice, sell direct, and you can take a small amount of fish and still make it profitable. But otherwise, it's tough to it's tough to be a fishmonger these days. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of people in aquaponics that think they're going to come out with a big aqua, you know, aquaculture heavy facility. And in fact, I just went and talked to someone that had a massive aquaculture facility that they were looking at further monetizing with cannabis. And because of the market that they were in, I ended up talking them out of it because it just didn't make sense in their particular market. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes that is the best answer is, you know what, just build a whole new facility much closer to where you need to have it rather than transporting it you know these ludicrous distances you know it just doesn't make sense financially yeah i i, I am curious this this is kind of just coming to me but what does anybody have any ideas about the potential for maybe taking the fish and not selling them for human consumption but for omega um oil production and making different products different capsules uh, instead of selling the meat off um are there any other avenues of using this for uh for different stuff i, I don't know if yeah. has any input on that there's a company here in queensland that are trying to do that they call themselves q ponics you know the, the letter q ponics and uh that's their whole thing is to grow um jade perch in an aquaponic setting and harvest the fish to extract the oil but they're not doing very much. They're one of those companies that's trying to live off government grants. So do you just do you yeah. take the fish and you dry them and you smoke them and then you put them in your BHO extractor? Or? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So oh, wait, you're smoking uh, fish? Yeah. Steve, what kind of channel is this? <laughs> Different kind so of smoke. Here, the only reason I ask is because. You know Larry King Live. You guys all know Larry King Live. Yeah. He's on TV Sunday morning. He's selling a Omega pill that's extracted from the muscles of a certain muscle in New Zealand. And so they're farming muscles in New Zealand, taking them out about 18 months and extracting the rich Omegas because they're supposed to be superior to fish oils. And if you look at the different research now, those omegas are what are, you know, doing brain reversal and aging reversal and reversal on autism stuff. And so I think that stuff's pretty interesting. 
because uh, that's aquaculture at its finest making medicine. Yeah, you're right. And and uh, Jade Perch from Australia, that's the highest known source of omega-3 fatty acids on the planet, four times more. And I just wonder, I just don't understand why someone in America hasn't started importing Jade Perch from Australia, getting the appropriate licensing, et cetera, and setting up a hatchery there. Because we get asked all the time for, by Americans, where can they get Jade Perch from? Would that course, be considered invasive, Murray? The, no. Pardon? So no, just wondering. So there's a there's a company in somewhere in New England, Massachusetts or Vermont or something like that, that uh, I think imports them. And then there's another company in I want to say San Francisco, but it might be Portland that does them as well. They're the only two people that I'm aware of that do um, yeah. do those in the state because they're very hard to breed. See, so from a business point of view, if you started selling them to backyarders, you know, to buy you know a hundred a year or whatever. And because they, they're almost impossible to breed at home, um, you know, you've got a good recurring business. And, and not only that, they're high omega-3s. Anyway, someone will wake up to it one day, I guess. Um, somebody asked in chat, what kind of food do you prefer for, for aquaponics? Since you mentioned food and, and low-quality food being a big issue. We just use just good quality commercially available fish pellets. You know, that has got about 35% protein. And we know they're being produced by a reputable company. They've got no land animal content. It's only fish meal, uh, soy meal or wheat meal, and uh, the other additives they put into fish meal to make it work, you know. Um, yeah, there's nobody here in Australia. I believe there's one person, there's a company in the USA that produces a um, organically certified fish food. I don't know if that's still true or not, but yeah, it would be good to have someone who had it organically certified, but you know, buy a good quality one. That's all I can say. So, Murray, you're you're working you're working in places all over the world, and some of these places have restrictions to electricity. Um, you're basically trying to serve some of these impoverished nations. What can you speak to these alternative fish feeds? I've got a little experience in seeing the black soldier fly in composting situations. Um, Surely they're not shipping pallets of commercial fish feed to some of these places. Can you speak to some of the different feeds that you're seeing improvised with? Well, of course, that's where tilapia and also Australia's jade perch are a wonderful fish because they will eat just about anything, I mean, really, from the vegetable world because they're both, uh, you know, primarily vegetable eaters and they will eat anything. You know, we found with our jade perch, we can feed them pumpkin, avocado, cabbage, lettuce, uh, and any combination of all those things, and they'll eat it all and do well on it. And, you know, looking to the future when fish meal might become nearly impossible to get, um, those are the fish that are going to do well and will be very important to providing protein for people. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be the fish that will be important, certainly not salmon or fish like that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the way of the future, I think. I mean, it, it hasn't struck us yet, but, um, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about the day when fish meal won't be available anymore. And you know who's going to suffer more than fish people will be um, pig farmers, because pig farmers use a lot of their pig feed, their pig pellets, etc. It's got a high uh, quantity of fish meal in it. So, you know, we should be doing research in that. Someone should be. I think, once again, that's the Aquaponics Association should be leading the charge in that. And probably the Aquaculture Associations around the world should be leading the charge in examining that. But uh, the fish of the future are definitely tilapia and jade perch, maybe to a lesser, lesser extent carp, 
and a few other varieties that are vegetable eaters, but they're certainly not going to be fish that that are uh, you know meat eaters for the want of a simple explanation, because they're very hard to feed on artificial food. Very difficult. Can you elaborate on why fish oil is going to be projected to be out be gone? Well, because of the the moment the fish meal that is not fish oil, fish meal, um, because at the moment it's produced by uh, companies that process seafood. Um, you know, the catch comes in or it's done on board boat where the, where the fish are filleted and the skeleton, the guts and the head, etc., are then cooked up, uh, cooked and um, dried and turned into fish meal. That's where it's coming from now. But, of course, some of the alarmists out there, and maybe they've got a point, uh, are now accusing um, fish people of using, uh, of going out of the ocean and just catching fish to turn it into fish meal. That's not true. That's not happening yet. It might happen one day. I don't know. But obviously, as the fish stocks in the ocean are fished out, which they are, a lot, a lot of parts of the world, they're being fished out. They really are. Because in Asia in particular, you know, the, their primary source of protein is fish. That's what they eat. And, um, you know, if the fish stocks in the world get run down, then land-based fish farming is going to become very, very important. And also varieties of fish that can be fed on land-based fish foods, you know, Alfalfa, for example, um, there's lots of things that are really good to feed fish on, and I'm talking about jade perch, silver perch, and tilapia, uh, do well on all those mixtures of those foods. They grow and do very well. You know, but right now it's cheaper and easier to buy fish pellets, but the day is going to have to come when we're going to have to think very seriously about it and what we do. I'm always amazed what, what jade perch will eat, actually. We did a, a trial for 12 months. We ran two fish tanks side by side in the same system, so they're sharing all the same water, everything else. We fed one tank on commercially available fish pellets and we fed the other tank on a whole lot of different concoctions we made up out of all sorts of different plant things. And at the end of the 12 months, we put 60 fish in each tank. At the end of the 12 months, not one death in the plant-based um, fish tank. The commercially available pellets, we lost about four fish. And there was no particular reason for that. It was just the way it worked out. But at the end of the period of time, the fish that were fed on the plant-based diet uh, were about 15% lighter in weight. Uh, when we butchered some of them, they had very little fat in the cavity of their body, whereas the ones on commercially available fish pellets had lots and lots of fat in the cavity of their body. So without doing any elaborate lab tests, you could easily argue that the vegetable-based fish were probably a bit healthier, and uh, they certainly looked okay and they performed well. So, you know, it can be done. It can be done. There's no doubt about it. It can be done. Murray, what are your thoughts on genetically modified fish coming into the aquaponic market? Don't and like it at all. All too often, the industry doesn't want to solve the sustainable issue by coming up with a new fish feed. They come, want to come up with a new modified option for us to have more fish. So can you speak to GMO fish, GMO breeding, we see the GMO salmon coming out. Um, does it, is that is that on your radar for anything in our industry? I, I, I think it's I think it's an absolute disaster. Personally, I, don't, I just don't like it. I, I just think we should stick with Mother Nature, you know. And why do we? Pardon my cynicism, I, you know, if, if I'm wrong here, but I just think a lot of that stuff comes about because corp, the corporate world wants to control you. They want to have a product that you've got to buy from them. And so by, by GMing something, they can make it into a unique, unique product that you have to buy from them. 
and they can think up 5,000 reasons why it's a good idea. But the real idea underneath it all is to capture you so that you cannot, you cannot buy from somebody else. You have to buy from them. And, you know, that's, that's, for long-term sustainability, that's just no good. It's just no good because you need to be able to work with Mother Nature and devise ways of doing that. I mean, okay, you can get some productivity gains by doing things like that, I'm sure, but I still don't like it personally. I don't think it's good. I think we get massive productivity gains in what we grow by doing it as naturally as possible and employing all the microbes and protozoas and all the things that we know about the mycorrhizal fungi as nature intended it to be. And, you know, we can grow things really well without starting to fiddle around with it in order to capture a market. When I went to India, I'd heard stories about, about people being in serious trouble because of buying uh, GM seed. Now, I went there and I saw it firsthand. The particular area I went to to do this project was out in the desert. It was a terrible place, actually. But anyway, in that area, people were just peasant farmers, as they called them. And the smartest guy in the area would earn about $200 US dollars a year. That was him and his family's entire income. And the way they had farmed for who knows how many generations is they'd plant their rice, they would sell a portion of it, they would keep a portion of it back for their own food, and they would keep a portion of it for seed. They'd done this for generations successfully. Along came a big company that remained nameless and said, you should buy our GM rice seed because you'll get higher yields. So that with their meagre amount of money they got, they bought GM rice, planted it, and they did first year, they got a higher yield. But of course, Mr. Farmer, who'd been doing it for who knows how long, and his dad before him, sold a portion of the crop, kept some of it to eat themselves, and kept some for seed. Of course, next year they planted the seed, and guess what? They got only half the crop. But they'd now lost their original seed, because they thought they didn't need that anymore. So they'd either eaten it or sold it. And now they're in a real jam. They've got GM seed that's now a generation old that doesn't grow very well anymore. And they haven't got any money to buy anymore. So a lot of these people were suiciding because in their culture, the granddad, you know, the, the eldest male in the family, he's, he's responsible. And if he can't feed his family and his extended family, that's a huge shame for him. And these people were committing suicide at an astonishing rate. And when I was there in the place, people were telling me these stories. And it's, it's an absolute dreadful, dreadful thing to happen to people, um, to, to have that happen, to completely destroy their livelihood and their ability to grow their own food. And I think that's on a small scale, as tragic as it is. I think we could see the same thing happen worldwide, if we're not careful, uh, where we don't preserve, uh, you know, original seed varieties, original fish varieties, and all that sort of stuff that have survived on the planet for who knows how many thousands of years. And all of a sudden in the 20th century or 21st century, we decide we're going to manipulate it all and change it all. There's only one reason in my view behind it, and sorry to have this rant, and that is corporate greed. Quite frankly, that's what I think. Well, when you said about, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to add to that too. We had just talked about a couple of days ago about the cassava uh, virus, uh, mosaic virus. So they did a genetic modification study where they tried to modify the uh, cassava mosaic virus, one of the most common diseases for, for a lot of plants and, uh, you know, a lot of bulk cassava mm -hmm. production uh, with uh, CRISPR-9. And what it did was it taught 40% of the virus how to use CRISPR-9 to more efficiently kill plants. So, you know, because these things can do horizontal gene transfer, you have to be way more careful with fish, or I'm sorry, with plants than you do with fish that, that don't have the potential for horizontal gene transfer. You know, mammals don't, I, I can't touch you and transfer genes. That is not the case for plants. 
So, you know, we have to be careful. And the fact that mechanisms that work for a lot of the other creatures that we, we've been working with genes uh, editing with simply are, are far more dangerous with, uh, you know, plants and, and other types of microbes because of this horizontal gene transfer that, that can, you know, it, it, we, we talked about with the cassava virus, it, it immediately eradicated the entire field 10 times as fast. Now, that's On top of that, did you see just recently, I don't know if you guys remember, but a little while ago, they tried releasing genetically modified mosquitoes in hopes of knocking down the population of actual mosquitoes. And then they accidentally made super mosquitoes. Their study just came back on that and uh, found out that, because originally it was designed so that, it would, that all of the all of the new mosquitoes would be male and they would transfer their genetics into the gene pool and would kill off the... Uh, it was in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> um, but what actually happened is they just bred super mosquitoes that are now more resilient uh, than before. And their plan to not have them repopulate completely backfired. <laughs> so now the problem is worse than what we started with. And it just goes along the same lines of ridiculousness. Sorry to come in on a weird note. What's up, everybody? Hey, Marty. And, and Murray, I was going to say on the back end of your talking about that story about those folks in the desert. See, here, you're not, if you get GMO seeds here, you're not allowed to save seeds. That's, they take you to court, take your farm here. You know, so even the issue of you reusing seeds and they their, their yield was depleted year after year and they suffered. Well, you, in a lot of places, the instance, you're not allowed to do that. You know, so I just wanted to throw that in here. You said you brought that up, uh, that I was surprised. I thought you were going to go a different direction that the next year they saved seeds and the company came after them. But you just told us about how the seed was poor quality after the first year, which means, again, it's designed to be used once and not being uh, saved. There's not much you can, you're not going to have much success in court trying to sue a farmer whose, whose income is 200 bucks a year. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's it's chronically bad. And like Marty has just expressed, you know, the mosquito thing. I mean, we just shouldn't play with that kind of stuff. Right, right. I agree. I agree. And, and back to Brooke on the fish, I had to say something. At least genetically modified fish, if there's one positive note, they won't fly through the air and land into your tank and, and ruin your fish, your other fish. <laughs> oh, I'd have got to laugh. Okay. No, Marty. Oh, go ahead. Um, I know Marty had another uh, question, a couple questions for you. Oh, well, actually, I just wanted to actually thank you. When I, uh, Murray, when I first started doing aquaponics years ago, your, yours is one of the few channels that I was able to follow. I'm sure, like many people have already told you before, but. Just wanted to say thanks for putting out so much content uh, that, that's knowledgeable and, and on point. And I was able to kind of, you know, pick that up and take it into the, the cannabis realm. And that's where I ran into Steve and we started this podcast. And so uh, just thanks for all, all the stuff that you put out there for free and uh, just really appreciate it. That's good. Thanks for saying that. It's nice. No problem. You have Thank a you. Book? I keep telling my wife that. Do you have a book? <laughs> Yeah, so what's you have a couple different forms of media for people to educate with aside from your class as well. You want to mention that before we before we let you go? Well, the first one is um, our aquaponics design course, which is online, and the other one is um, our aquaponics masterclass, which we do here in Australia. And we're just about to ramp up some other stuff. We've got another website called murrayhallam.com, which has got about twenty five or thirty 
instructional videos in it. That's free. You just got to go and sign up and go in there and, and you can see them. And uh, we're just about to launch another uh, similar kind of service, a blog, even though blogs in some ways are a bit old fashioned, I guess. Um, we're just about to do that. So that's got information in it for people. Um, yeah, you know, we, we, we believe we've got a bit of a mission to try and educate people around the world about aquaponics and how good it is. And, uh, you know, extend that off to other forms of regenerative farming, like you were mentioning earlier. Aquaponics is not the only thing uh, that you need to be able to understand and do. But I think it's going to become increasingly important and probably very quickly, more quickly than we realise, for people to learn how to grow some of their own food. Because if they don't, they might find the pickings a bit thin. Absolutely. We're going to be the only ones with food when the lights go out. Yeah. All right. Well, um, is there anything else you want to mention? Uh, how do people find you if they want to find out more, or learn from you and in, in your communities? And uh, I'll make sure. I'll well, our, our main website is aquaponics.net.au, and AU means Australia. Uh, so it's just aquaponics.net.au. That's it. That's our main website. And we've got a you know, variety of other things we do off that, but you can find me on aquaponics.net.au and if you send me an email, I always try to answer them. Sometimes I miss one, but I get an enormous amount of emails, which I'm sure you do too, Steve, but oh, yeah. try to work our way through them every day and uh, get them done. So I really like getting emails. It makes me feel like I'm needed. You know what I mean? All us blokes like to be needed, don't we? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we, Marty and I regularly send each other really funny questions that we get asked. I had, what was the, I sent you a good one the other day. What was it? <laughs> I don't oh, know. Someone was telling me that they could, they could, they could do a couple of, they could breed, breed a plant a couple of times and then crossbreed F1s and have completely consistent offspring after just a handful of breeding. Yeah, that was part of their, their Do you business. not even know what an F1 it is? Like, so you yeah. get all these comical ones or like, you know. And it was so like, it was so brief too. It was just like, it's like mention it in passing. Oh yeah, I'll just go ahead and do this thing that's really never been done in breeding before. I'm sure it'll happen for me though. You know, like it, it was just, uh, it was classic. I reckon we should we should get together one day and do a collection of funny emails. Yes, we should do it and silly questions. I've had I've had people uh, ask me if they could use Windex to, to kill aphids. I've had people ask me if they could use OxyClean because you know it'll just add oxygen to the water, right? Um, and I've had people ask me if they can pleasure themselves to feed their baby fish. Uh, because you know it's oh, a small moving thing that it's the same size as the baby fish. You you name it. I've I've had ridiculous questions. People ask you with the complete a hundred percent serious, completely serious, asking these ludicrous questions. Or like if uh, if your plants and your fish can survive a methane gas leak, that was a, <laughs> or or, was or what, what is the acceptable level of radium in the water? I had that from an Australian customer. Uh, radon and radium levels that are acceptable on oh, aquaponic water. Depends if you want to glow in the dark or not. <laughs> I don't know. You want superpowers? I'm like, you know. Ah, yeah, you get some funny ones, all right. What, what about you, Murray? What's some good ones that you got? I'm trying to think of a few because I get quite a few of them, but yeah, I can't think of any right now. But I should. I, I often say to my wife because I, I read some out to her every now and again because I answer a lot of my questions in the middle of the night, and. Um, on my laptop. 
I'll say, oh, here's another one for you. Have a, have a listen to this. But yeah, I should write them down. I keep saying to her, we should collect them all up. Yeah, we should get you don't want to embarrass your students, do you, by publishing them? That'd be terrible. Oh, it has to all be anonymous, but we, we yeah. should get together with some of the other aquaponics people and just compile a master list of, of all the funny questions. Yeah. Here's some of the questions you should never ask and, and do a list like that, eh? Yeah. yeah. Or if you do, just know we laugh at you. Yeah, fishing nightmares or something like that. Well, we'll, I, we'll answer I, your I, question, but we'll also laugh at you. Yeah, I, 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 I even answer the silly ones because, you know, I just assume that they're asking it honestly and genuinely they're not. Oh, yeah, I still answer everyone, even if I, th even if I think it's silly. I mean, and, you know, a lot of times, I'm sure a lot of questions I asked when I first started were silly. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I just think that some of them are, are more entertaining than others, for sure. Yeah, But I answer all of them. I enjoy it. Some of the names people have are quite funny, too. That they think up to for an alias for themselves. That's another funny one we get. Because at the end of the training course, we have to, we send them out a certificate, you know, if they've done their homework correctly. And what they've done is they've signed up with a fake email address. And then you try and send to it and it, and it bounces. And then they start complaining from another email address that they haven't received their certificate. And, you know, it gets complicated. But anyway, that's what some people do. I well, Steve, so. thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate that. It's been fun catching up and seeing uh, good old Roger again and all you guys. First time I've met you, Marty. And um, Very nice to meet you, sir. Brooke and all the other people that are out there listening, which I hope there are thousands and thousands. <laughs> Pleasure. Uh, it's, it's been fun. It's nice to see your farm. It's always nice to see some plants in the background. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know we've been trying to get you on for a long time. You've been probably our most requested guest uh, uh, for the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thanks a lot. Anyway, no doubt, Steve, I'll see you again next year at the Aquaponics Association Conference, wherever it's going to be held. I don't know. And um, yeah, it's always fun to go to those places and meet the people. Oh, yeah. All righty. Well, thanks again. And, uh, and we'll, we'll catch you again, uh, hopefully another time soon. It'll be a little bit easier once I move to Africa. So, Okay. Thanks, Steve. Blast, Murray. A blast, man. Thank you. See you later on. Eh? Awesome. Cheers, Murray. Good to see yeah. you. Um, so I know uh, Roger had uh, a couple of announcements that he wanted to, to mention real quick before we move on. Yeah, our, our primary announcement, but hey, back to the funny things. Uh, the funniest thing I've been asked so far is, uh, can we use our cow poop in our aquaponic system? And emphatically, I've done that no. one multiple times. I don't <laughs> know what it is. And it's always cow poop. Like it's never, you know, everyone's, why, you know, I guess it's why like cow poop? poop or something, but or it's, always, it's always or the cow poop. Or humanor. That's the other good one. Yeah. Humanor. Or, or can I pee in my tank? Oh, yeah, they love to use, yeah, human excrement. Yeah, they love to ask about that, for sure. I had that in, in our group today, uh, this evening, actually, uh, which we said, you know what, just use some ammonium sulfate. We, we got it in stock. It's cheap. It's <laughs> safe. It's pure. Come on, it's easy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, one, one of the announcements we want to throw out there is here extremely soon. We brought it up before. And when I say extremely soon, we're, we're actually putting it on mm -hmm. the, the website right now. Uh, is our subscription service for commercial aquaponics. Um, and basically how it works is when you sign up, um, you will send in a bottle of your system water of about eight ounces 
it will be tested and we will analyze that sample uh, along with the information you give us about your grow for what you're growing, what other conditions you might have. Uh, and we will send you not only uh, a written uh, statement of what you should do over the next month, but also the minerals and other uh, nutrients, micro, macro, that you may be lacking in your system. Um, so the, the two things that will happen is you'll, you'll find out, do I need to make water changes? Do I need to stop adding a certain something that I'm adding? Um, do I need to <laughs> drop down the amount of fish or the amount of fish food? Uh, do I need to add more plants? And then also you'll get these packs of minerals that you will add either once a week or once every two weeks. Uh, that way it's nice and simple and you cut out your your need for a farm manager that, that, that you spend so much money on all year long uh, for, for a very, very cost-effective fix to get a huge uh, boost on your ROI or return on investment. Uh, and that's, that, that's a big thing. We see so many farms fail because they, they just don't have um, either what they need in place to understand what their plants need or their system needs as a whole, or they're paying so much money to get to that point uh, that they, they just can't sustain. So that's, that's a, a service we're just about to uh, kick off the ground and launch and get going, and we hope it's going to help an awful lot of people. Uh, and that would be folks in the, the cannabis industry as well as uh, any vegetable produce uh, that they may be trying to sell commercially. Uh, we, we really think it's going to make a big splash, no pun, actually all pun intended, uh, when it when it comes out. Yeah, it's really one of the... Roger, can I speak to that for one sec? I just think even if you're doing great, that service is almost more important to you. Because a lot of guys, everything's going great, and they don't realize when something's working perfectly, that's the time to get a snapshot of what you got. Because a lot of times everything's perfect, but you don't know what that looks like in your test results, and that gives them the ability to take the advantage of that service too. Um, so I just I just found out about that. You guys mentioned that. Um, I've been paying a guy to look at my water. And that makes perfect sense because whether you're having problems or not, you need to have that same service because it gives you a look at what you got. Really oh, yeah. good point. It just, the, the whole point is to take away the most complicated part of what's the most complicated part of an aquaponic facility is managing the nutrients, making sure that all the plants are, are at optimal growth rate and everything else. So if we know what crops you have in there, and, and everything else with all the data that I've have, Roger has and a couple of other people that we're working with have, we've aggregated all of this into this immense, incredible database that we use to, um, you know, that, that's based on real world production numbers at, at high, you know, top production uh, in aquaponics specifically. And, and then giving you, not having you weigh stuff out in a scale, not having this complicated, not, not having to rely on an employee, tear the package open, pour it in, you know, just completely take away you know, any of the complication uh, and any of the, the hard parts so that your, your farm manager can focus on, on working with the other employees and getting crops rotated and getting seeds planted and, and making sure there's no bugs in there and, and just focusing on actually running the farm rather than trying to sit here and, and, and manage the nutrients and just removing that whole portion of, of and complication from your farm manager's, you know, day-to-day -day, uh, uh, tasks and just having him fill up vials and put them in the mail and then, you know, follow the directions that he gets in the mail, you know, and just makes it brainless. And, uh, great service, guys. 
Yeah, plus it gives you like a, you know, like a documented uh, baseline to go by too. I think that's kind of what uh, Brooke was saying there was that it gives you uh, like, just because things aren't going wrong doesn't mean that the data doesn't have value. Like maybe you'll, you'll get a really great producing, you know, run and you'll be like, oh man, well, what, you know, what was different about that one? And you can go back and look, right? Like you, you'll have it done, you test after test, as long as you're doing it every month, you can come back and check on it. So uh, just by having it done and getting it back, it'll give you a record of it. You know, it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, I'm kind of a picture bug. So I'm always, you know, in my garden taking pictures of stuff and I can always go back. That's how I figure out when I do everything is by going back and uh, and looking at when I took the picture of it. So I, oh, well, that's when I transplanted, right? Cause I took a picture of it and posted it to Instagram or whatever. Uh, you know, it's gonna be kind of like those, those test results are gonna be like that. You'll be able to come back and reference them over time. Cause since it's a month to month thing, you can come back and check on them. Absolutely. Yeah. Same thing. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Steve. You're up. Oh, go ahead, Roger. All right, uh, and the was... same thing with, oh, I thought I was, uh, <laughs> well, I wanted to say something. Well, I, I yielded to Steve and we got, yeah. I just want to say real quick, the same thing goes with natural farming. It's a good idea to take so soil samples more than once just when you're setting up your farm. Take soil samples a couple times a year too when things are going good or bad or not just bad. I love that idea, Brooke. Great idea. I yield. Go ahead, true uh, uh, aquaponics, Roger. We're going to change my name or something. Um, yeah, one, one thing we've we've seen that people don't understand at all, and it, it's not taught in the aquaponics industry at all, whereas in soil farming it is taught, is the minerals or the nutrients that plants need. Uh, we, we see it all too often. People say, hey, you need fish, you need water, uh, you need some kind of grow media or raft bed and biofilters and throw some feed in there and go. Well, that, that looks good for about a month, maybe a month and a half, and then it starts to fall apart rapidly. Uh, so I see the other Rogers flipping out. <laughs> so I'll yield to him for a second. Oh, no, I think he's just stretching. No, I was I was grabbing my um, my little thing. Grabbing his stash. Jeez, oh, he's killing me. He's killing me. Oh, no, yeah, I was reaching up to my... I've had... You know, I've had multiple friends uh, talk about kind of like what Roger was just talking about. Like you take your sample and then you just amend what you're missing. And um, I've had multiple people do that, especially with outdoor grows um, uh, around here. A lot of people have been doing that and not one of them has been disappointed. Usually it, it, it turns out better than other runs in which they just amended everything. And so, you know, coming from, uh, you know, there are people that, that threw their soil out after every run in indoor runs. Like that was the common thing to do, you know, like, <laughs> and yeah, you know, we can all look back and we can shake our heads at those people, but um, you know, in the end that they, they did what they did. So <clears throat> uh, the reality is coming from, from there all the way to where we are now, sometimes we're going to look back and be like, you know what, that wasn't the best idea, but doesn't mean we have to continue to do it. And, um, you know, I just think this service is going to help a lot of people to be able to get over that, uh, you know, that initial sort of plateau that Roger was talking about. Everything's good for a month and then shit starts falling apart. But if you can get over just that little bit that you need to do in order to keep things balanced, people talk about it like it's a lot of maintenance. 
and uh, it's it's just really really not if you can if you can get over that that hump of sort of that initial crash and just understand enough of what you need to be able to uh, to amend into your system whether you're talking about living soil or you're talking about aquaponics you know I just feel like aquaponics is like a, a faster loop uh, than what you can do in like a living soil situation manipulate it in more ways and feed it in more ways but overall you're just looking to close that that loop of nutrients into plant growth, and uh, and you you're, you got to keep that balance like we talk about all the time. If you want to look up like Molder's chart or any of that stuff, but uh, keeping those ratios in check is is more important than the than the overall total numbers. What you got there, Roger? Roger one. Roger T. Uh, the, uh, this is the Congo. This is the Congo. So oh, that Roger. <laughs> that Vision had uh, worked with and uh, provided to a lot of his friends. And, um, I, yeah, I just say that I got this from one of Vision's friends uh, on the West cool. Coast. And it's really nice. It's a very nice strain. Here. Excellent. Uh, I, well, I, since it's open in a dead zone, I want to say, Rogers and Steve, I, I, love, I love this idea you had the whole time. I think it's great. In fact, I haven't. I mean, are, I asked, I think I asked this before, but uh, is it is it open? Are you guys open to just doing uh, if we send or is it has to be the subscription? Say I want to have water samples. Can I send them to you or is it only if I'm going to do it for my aquaponics system? Are you going to do just water samples that tell people what's in it and what they might need to add? Or is it, you know, I think you got the question. We, we yeah, it's subscription only. Um... We're, we're not just going to do open testing because it would burn up our test too quick. Um, and, and what happens, it, it, it's kind of what you're talking about. Uh, we don't really tell you what you need. We tell you what you're doing too much of, or if you need to do a water change, and then we send you what you need uh, in a packet that, like Steve said, you rip it open, you dump it in, and you walk away. Uh, that way there's no thought to it. Uh, we we want to take that process completely out of the farmer's hands. That way he doesn't have to worry about it or she doesn't have to worry about it. They they send the water in, it's tested, we analyze it, we put together the packet and we put together what's necessary. Don't set your hair on fire. We put together what's necessary for what you need to do in a, 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 yeah, see, a, a plan of action as far as any water changes need to happen, uh, less fish food, different fish food. Uh, if we see something weird in there, uh, which does happen. Uh, some of the cheaper fish foods may have some things in it you don't need or, or don't want in your aquaponic system. Uh, you darn sure don't want to be getting that stuff in your produce or in your hemp or, or cannabis. Um, so that, that's it, it is a subscription service where you will send in your water and you will receive something back, not just uh, this is what you need. Um, because th the problem with doing that is one month you say, okay, you need to add this much iron, this much potassium, this much this, this much that. Uh, the next month it'll be different. And if they get it once, they're gonna think, okay, that's all I need to know. And they're gonna run with that for six months and six months down the road, they're gonna have toxic levels of something or not enough of something because things change over time. Or, or the system balances out uh, from month to month as we send them what they need and tell them what they need to do. Uh, but if they quit the subscription, and just keep going on if they knew what was going into it every month and and even with it changing a little bit from month to month in time it's going to get out of balance so 
the subscription is really the best way to go. That way you know exactly what's going on at all times. Would you quit kissing me? So you're, you're basically, yeah. And I, I know you said this right up front. This is really a, a more of a higher percentage of this business is based on beginners and new commercial growers, as opposed to, because I want to play devil's advocate on the other side is if, if I, if I had a testing thing and sent you a packet of stuff, you or Steve, because I know we're all kind of anal about our systems and how they're run. Would you just take a packet and dump it into your reservoir? Well, it it yeah. uh, it it does come down to a certain amount of trust. Um, right, right. Do you do you trust me when I say this is what you need? Uh, do you, or or do you trust our group when we say that's what you need? Um, do you trust our group when we say, hey, you need to change uh, out thirty percent of your water because your your phosphates are too high, um, or your nitrates are too high, or you know you got too much pee in there because you've been peeing in your tank instead of letting the fish do it too much sodium yeah. in that peeing in it too much <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so good I, answer good answer i just i didn't want to mess with you but I... oh no you're not messing with it it's, it's it's good questions and questions that people should and or ask and, and have answers to um that way they know they can can trust us on the back end um up front you know the first time around yeah it's, it's easy to trust somebody but uh, if if they worry every night that, hey, maybe they're sending me something I shouldn't have. That's a bad thing. So they, they, those questions need to be asked up front. I still love it anyway. I mean, I love it either way. But I mean, yeah, I love when y'all came up with that. I'm like, damn it. Another thing, I, you know, but, well, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense to do that. And I wish you all the luck and I hope it goes through the roof, man. Because you are definitely providing a service that will help a lot of people. Because there's so many people that are out there that just can't manage. I'm not sure if I agree with what you said about getting rid of your farm manager. Because somebody's still got to look, go look for bugs and disease. But yeah. um, get rid of that task from your farm manager's plate, really. Yeah, that's that's more like, yeah. Because so, you still got to have somebody that is watching out over the health of the plants. Yeah, and somebody needs to be there live to say, okay, something doesn't look right, and then come back to us if we're if we're working with you and say, hey, this doesn't look right. Can we can we run another test and see what's up? And absolutely, we will, just in case something's you know out of round. Um, we we don't want any mistakes, uh, and and that doesn't help you or any customer down the road if if mistakes are made, uh, whether it be by us or by the lab or or whatever. Maybe maybe you missed throwing in a dose or you doubled up on a week and threw two doses in because you had too much beer the night before who knows <laughs> that happens it happens you know we're, we're human so mistakes will happen so we, we want to make sure somebody is watching uh, for any issues that may be arising um, but other than that I, th I think it's a great service and yeah I shouldn't have said uh, get rid of your farm manager because like you said somebody needs to be there uh, whether it be yourself or, or somebody else running the uh, rows and and watching for something that may or may not be going wrong, or even watching for good stuff and, and sending reports back saying, hey, this is what's happening. It's great. Uh, that way we know we're doing a great job. So are you going to also, are people going to be able to send you images? Are you going to be set up to, to uh, intake uh, videos or images when people have problems? Absolutely. Absolutely. We all have email. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's, yeah, because that's the concerns. Anybody out there listening, they're going to have all these concerns. You know, it's a new service. It's a new kind of service. There's not really anything like it out there, as far as I know, um, at least not in America. You know, who knows? They might be in Australia, thanks to, you know, Murray, but uh, there's nothing like this. So, again, kudos to you guys for coming up with the idea and implementing it. And I wish you all the luck, man.
Yeah, I know Roger's been putting in a lot of hard work getting the website ready to launch and yeah. everything like that. And I've been uh, helping him get, get a lot of the other back end stuff going. So there's a one heck of a storm going on here. So pretty gnarly. Are you still an Okie, Steve? No, no. He's You're out of Okie? Getting prepped, getting prepped to go over to, to Africa. So. Well, I mean, are you going. still in Oklahoma, basically, is what I was No, no, I got all my stuff packed and it's getting ready to ship out, so. Good for you, good for you. Is that what she's doing? She's loading up the seeds? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's like, the sooner he's out of here, the quicker I get the house to myself. I know what's up. <laughs> I know what's up. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways... Uh, <laughs> What, uh, what else is new with you and your growing? I know you're uh, you're about to get hit by a storm there, Roger. And Marty's getting hammered too right now by a storm. Yeah, it's uh, snowed like half the day today. They let me go home early, which is my last what? day, so it was kind of funny. <laughs> but it worked out for me. So yeah, I got to, but um, it's also getting like 40 mile an hour gusts. They closed down I-5. And a couple of uh, big rigs get blown sideways. So they uh, are like, well, we'll take a break for a little while. So I think it's open back up again now, but usually they'll open and close it a couple of times. But we're supposed to get uh, six to 10 inches of snow, I think, here, which is which is not that much. But it, it's it's pretty good for this area where we usually get like one to two, you know. And uh, I know I talked to Scotty today. He got hammered up there in Fort Collins. Um, so you guys don't know uh, Scotty. They got had their PayPal shut down. Uh, Dragonfly recently had their PayPal shut down as well. <coughs> Why? But just because they're being accused of cannabis-related products. Because they're weed snorters. Because we're weed <laughs> companies. Um, so, um, yeah, just crazy stuff going on with that. There's a lot of PayPal accounts <coughs> down lately. Uh, so, you know, watch out. Um, but, uh, uh, I was talking to him and, um, so be sure to go check out, uh, the dude grows. They switched everything over to Patreon. Um, if you go check out the dude grows, they have some information on there. Um, uh, if you had a subscription with them and supported them in the past, please go, uh, you know, help them out and switch over to their new, new platform because they really got screwed over and they lost quite a bit of money in that whole thing. So really, you know, They've been a big, uh, you know, supporter of the community. They put on multiple events per year just just to support the community and get together with their fans and and other cannabis people. And they really do put a lot of great information out there. So, if you have supported them in the past or if you want to support them in the future, you know, please go check out their Patreon and and, and help them out that way. It'll mean a lot. <laughs> and they, they were all, all around cool ass guys too. Oh yeah, and they've been on the show a bunch. Uh, we've Scott got. He was on there. early, right? Like he was one of our first. Not yep. first, first, but relatively, relatively soon. Yeah, I was a, uh, I was one of their first guests on their show way back in episode forty-one or forty or forty. I don't know, some something between forty and forty-three. Some one of those. Uh, and He's been on what three or four times? Got like five hundred shows, doesn't he? I was gonna say, I, I think I've been on five to seven times at this point. <laughs> I just come on regularly every couple, a couple times a year. I have fun. I'm on one of them, just on the phone. Oh, just yeah. Just ranting yeah, about legalization. He was like, yeah, dude, just oh, go nuts. So let's, like, okay, so let's, let's get into that, because that was something that I wanted to at least talk about. So, Brooke, 
please tell us what the fuck happened today. I'll let you. I'll let you tell everybody. <laughs> well, today or which day? I'm, I mean, every day it seems like something crazy's happened. Um, most recently, I, I'm uh, still shaken by the USDA interim rules. That's that's my biggest biggest upset recently. Um, is there something else I don't know about that happened today that you might want to tell me? I don't oh, know. Jesus. <laughs> Bitch, oh. I'm jumping. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, let me just... How how good or bad of a day are you having before I make your day a lot shittier? Okay, so I'm being 100% serious. I'm pretty much up to date on stuff, but I do live off the grid in the middle of nowhere. And so maybe you are about to break some bad news to me. I don't know. What's up? I heard about some FDA letters. I, I've seen a lot okay. of different stuff. What happened? Tell this me. is this is this is hot off the presses today. This morning. This is literally maybe when I pull my dreads out and punch a wall today. Um what you need to know about CBD and what we're working to find out. Uh, the FDA approved only one CBD product, a prescription drug product, to treat yeah. two severe forms of epilepsy. It is currently illegal to market CBD by adding it to food or labeling as a dietary supplement. The FDA has seen only limited data about CBD safety, and these data points are real risks that are the data point to real risks that need to be considered before taking CBD for any reason. Some CBD products are being marketed unproven medical claims and are unknown quality. The FDA will continue to public. Now this is okay. So that's okay. Normal bullshit. Okay. This is where it gets stupid. The CBD is the potential to harm you and harm can happen even before you become aware of it. Total bullshit. CBD can cause liver injury. No, no documentation for that whatsoever. CBD can affect metabolism of other drugs causing serious side effects. We know that CBD works on the CB1 receptor uh, uh, in, in that it has side effects. That's a well-known, well-established, well-documented in medical stuff in the United States even, but also in Canada and Europe. That's well-documented, going back over 10 years, at least in, the in academia. So CBD can cause side effects that might cause uh, uh, that you might notice side effects should improve when CBD is stopped or when amount is ingested is reduced. The use of CBD with alcohol or other central nervous system depressants increases the risk of sedation and drowsiness, which can lead to injuries. Don't mix a lot of drugs. I think that's again another no-brainer that does you know trying to lump that with CBD is total BS. There's that that you're just grasping at straws here. Um, yeah, I think that's. The I think Changes. the first part of what you've seen and the first part of what you just put forth is something they've already said before. They said it a hundred times before that um, they have a certain position and they're not going to change on it. I think those additional thoughts that they're putting on it, those unreasonable and um, unrealistic characterizations of the situation are really just their whole point at beating up liability. Yep. They're trying to look at, they don't want anyone to be liable 
or claims. I think the FDA, for one, they're not the DEA, they're not the FBI, they're not the CIA, they're not going to come down and knock down the, you know, most person's doors. They're not some huge enforcement industry um, in regards to the average consumer. So, yes, they put out these things. I, I think it does scare off a lot of us in the production world. But the reality is, is that um, we don't expect anything other than unrealistic bullshit from regulatory agencies. And I think um, I'm not surprised. I don't really think it means a lot for a lot of us producers because um, the fight is not really defined legally. It's a lot of talk. And um, I, I don't really know what it means to shake down legally. So well, gonna, we'll see. I'm going to go finish through this and then I'm going to explain what this immediately translated into. So changes in alertness most commonly experienced as drowsiness and sleepiness, gastrointestinal distress most commonly experienced as diarrhea or decreased appetite. Again, total bullshit. Um, changes in mood most commonly experienced as irritable and, and agitated or agitation. Who the hell is more irritable and agitated on CBD? Has anyone ever met a single person that had that happen? No, of course not. There are many important aspects of CBD that we just don't know, such as what happens if you take CBD daily in sustained periods of time? What is the effect of CBD on developing brains, such as children who take CBD? Here we go. What about the children? Stupid bullshit. I don't know. What about the children? What about Charlotte? Um, <laughs> or any of the thousands of other children whose lives have been saved because of from, from, you know, terminal seizure disorders that are still alive today. Here, here. Those children. Um, I absolutely agree. What about those children? Uh, what about the children with autism who are now learning at a much better rate in schools? Uh, uh, what about those children on the developing line? I, I, I couldn't agree with them more, except I disagree with their point. Um, what are the effects of CBD on developing fetus and newborn breastfed newborns? What does CBD interact with herbs and other botanicals? What does CBD cause male reproductive toxicity in humans? Uh, uh, and as has been reported in studies of animals, where are they getting this shit? This is total, they're totally grasping at straws. None of this is any way in any, any kind of scientific anything. It's just scientific pharmaceutical company propaganda. That's all it is. Just well, freaking... if, if anything, it speaks to what happens if you isolate something maybe and combine it with some of their weird stuff. Maybe that's where they're getting these weird results. But you're not getting that from whole spectrum, full spectrum, real plant products. You're not getting any of those results from what most people are producing. The liver is not being destroyed by products that aren't being totally isolated and specified by labs. I don't think that's, and there's a lot of, a lot of variance in what they're saying here. Oh, I bet it's Actually, the Russian. They're not, they're not saying the variance. I think they're not, they're not showing there is a variance. Well, like I said, it's just the same bullshit propaganda. They just don't care. Yeah, I think that I just, I can't believe the fucking word they say. Like, if you really want to come down to it. I mean, these are the same motherfuckers that tried to, that have tried to tell us that cannabis is this 
exactly. disgusting gateway drug that everyone should be arrested and thrown in jail for the rest of their fucking lives to grow a fucking plant. Like oh. your their opinion just holds no value to me whatsoever. I will not fucking believe anything that they say about it. Like, I, and well, I, I'm not saying I, that. I, like, I don't disagree with anything that Brooke is saying. I'm just, I, I don't, I there i can give a fuck other than it determines regulations like that's the that's the fucked part of it you know is that these are the people to get to decide but at the same time like i can't i just like i'm not surprised that they have a totally uninformed opinion that's completely like cherry picked from just the one perspective they want to look at it from that should be what we expect at this point what's the source and this is and this is uh, although the risk was in um so this is the biggest bullshit. Their evidence for liver injury goes, the occurrence of this liver injury was identified through blood tests as often the case with early problems with the liver, not liver tissue samples. So if you didn't see that, you just, you're full of shit. You don't know if that's a false positive in your tests. That's, that's shitty science right there. That, that right there blows a hole in that whole argument. You know, you have no way of knowing if that's a false positive unless you look at a liver tissue. But they don't care. They can slap but it on they the story. Don't care. They the do average not care. person will read. We know that. We know that they care. They haven't outlawed cigarettes. Cigarettes are illegal. They're yeah. gonna kill people. I, I, and so no one's arguing that. Yet we're arguing this. Again, I don't I don't see any logic in what they're doing. And people try to jump into their arguments and try to find logic in it. I don't find any logic in it. But it is what's what they're saying, and it's, it's what we're trying to argue about, I guess, with the details. Well, we're and not really is, arguing is, with you. We're arguing for the whole idea that this is total bullshit. And, you know, oh, it's total bullshit. Yeah. 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 From multiple standpoints, though, it's total bullshit in what they're presenting, and it's total bullshit what they're trying to enforce. They're using total bullshit to enforce total bullshit. What so it's really frustrating. Risk? Not only not only that, so they go, this risk can be managed when the FDA approved CBD drug product is taken under medical supervision, <laughs> but is less clear how it might be managed when CBD is used far more widely without medical supervision, not in accordance with FDA approved labeling. That's fucking bullshit. That's <laughs> that's absolute pure unadulterated undistilled bullshit exactly can you tell us where but it should still be what you should expect at this point like we should expect it like we're like oh look here's those guys that shoveled all that bullshit for years oh look they still have bullshit like we shouldn't be that surprised like that's my only perspective and it's like um that's it what do you why would you let why would you think the best thing to happen to the american farmer to the American consumer, the American economics, the American everything, why would you think they were just going to hand that to us and yeah. let's have it? Let the working class, the real people have it? No. Yeah. They're gonna you know they were like, oh, shit. Them. They're making some money now, you know. They're like, yeah. we're going to need to put a hold on that, you know. like, And I, I, I have a firm belief that that's what happened with the medical cannabis market, like, Look at all the successful medical markets but prior to any sort of recreational. They're, they're all fucked. All of them. California, fucked. Oregon, fucked. Colorado, fucked. 
Washington, fucked. Like all the medical markets, which were perfectly fine and very profitable for a number of years prior to recreational cannabis, uh, are are all pretty much screwed. Like, I, I does Washington's even exist anymore? I don't need. I don't think so. Like, they might be done, right? I think what was it last time we talked about? I think it was 112 patients left, or 100, something like that. And there's yeah. There was one or two dispensaries in the state that even had a, a room for right. it. Like Oregon is down to three dispensaries for the entire state. Medical only dispensaries. Obviously, we have a ton of recreational dispensaries, but medical <clears throat> dispensaries. There's three for the entire state left. After there were, I mean, literally hundreds um, prior to to even just uh, recreational anything. So it, it just I feel like they were they were targeted. They were like, oh shit, you know, they're <laughs> look at all this tax money, look at all this other like we need control of this industry, like we have control over all the other ones. And uh and just like that, like we talked about when they had that whole debacle with uh extracts where basically extracts were illegal in Oregon for like two months. They're like, Oh, we need to reset this market. We'll just here's a nice little regulation we'll put in place. Okay, now the only extracts you can sell out of your dispensary come from state certified laboratories. And if you don't have certifications from you, these state ran laboratories, then you can't sell it out of your dispensary. It's illegal. Actually, we can come arrest you for it. So this is like new development, right? So you're like, okay, well, how many, uh, you know, where are these labs at? Can we get a list of them? Oh, well, we're sort of behind on issuing those. Uh, so there are none right now. <laughs> so there was a period in time in which there were basically no extracts available <clears throat> and they were illegal in Oregon up until they passed, uh, can't remember what amendment is, it's like SB 2040 or some crap like that. And, uh, and then, so then they, they passed that, which allowed them to sell some of the product uh, that was already on the shelves as people are gonna lose a shitload of money. So they use it as compromise and that's when a bunch of other shit happened where it gave essentially the same bill gave them the opportunity to declare an agricultural cop and put regulations on it, even though they weren't supposed to. So that's how they sort of like backdoored into all of that. But just like that, that one little thing of saying, okay, well now, now we're, we're going to require this certification that by the way, nobody has. And then we're going to take forever to certify a new one. And then the, at first, we're only going to do three. So those three labs are going to be slammed. So that that took a, a completely healthy market, put it on pause until all these rich guys could get stuck in place and then reset it with uh, exactly how they wanted it. And they had complete control after that uh, to be able to um, release licenses as they wanted to, both for labs, for extractors, or wholesalers, the county ended up with, and cities ended up with control over regulations so that they would be able to say, okay, well, now you have to have the right zoning to be able to do uh, to do anything, um, even medical. So it, they said, uh, because it's an agricultural crop, whether it's medical or recreational, it doesn't matter. We're just creating our regulations around agricultural crops. And in this case, cannabis or hemp is considered a agricultural crop and that's that's kind of like the how they just shut down the entire 
uh, an entire market pretty much overnight. <laughs> it was it was pretty crazy. I think the the legislation was enforced in like I want to say November first, and then it wasn't until like January that they really had like a flow going. So it was a, it was a solid couple of months where it was really difficult to be able to get anything processed. Well, isn't it the same? That's where we're at with him. The yeah. new USDA rules says you have one lab basically per state that can even process your stuff. Yeah. In regards to testing, you got to have a DEA, DEA uh, license. And so we went from being able to test all over the place to one place in the whole state. So um, they basically regulate um, into prohibition. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's yeah, it's just another form of prohibition, just enforced by different people instead of being enforced by the cops. You you get enforced by the the local mafia, your your county agents that come out, and uh, like even if you want to be completely legal and everything, everybody everybody's getting their cut. You know, and I always compare them to the mafia because that's basically what they do. They come over to your house and they say, "Hey, I see you got some plants back there." Be a uh, shame if someone fucked with them and uh, you should pay me some money to make sure that my friends don't come tear all your plants out. That's basically what it is. Like if you really want to break it down to that, yeah. like they might, they can wear whatever uniforms they want to identify themselves, but you know, like that's, that's a mafia. <laughs> it's really not any, nope. any different. It's extortion in my opinion. And uh, you know, it, it happened and happens a lot. It, it happened again this year when they they now have a new uh, task force for targeting illegal grows. So basically, they they backdoored again around. They're not supposed to use any funding to go after uh, growers in medical markets, and they so they figured out a way to uh, um, to get around that by establishing this special task force. So that they can they can specifically target what they deem as illegal grows, but in this point, <laughs> what they what they included as how they determined what is an illegal grow could even include a grow that's outside of compliance. So, <laughs> basically, it allowed them to, like, let's say that you had a they they found a worker that didn't have an OLCC license and there was a complaint filed that it would allow them to monitor and, and essentially in, investigate you just for being out of compliance. So they could tap your phones, they can surveillance your, your grow, they can inspect it, you know, like they get, you know, essentially all this stuff just from uh, being able to have a complaint filed. So it's, it's basically licensed to go after any grow, like, all you have to do is have someone file a complaint and and even an anonymous complaint, probably from a cop, <laughs> can can now put you under surveillance. So it was definitely this special task force in Southern Oregon has definitely got a lot of people on on edge, even even pe people completely on the up and up. Smaller growers are gonna get targeted again. <laughs>
That's yep. basically and what raising, it comes down to. Because it wasn't wonderful enough, they're raising taxes again in California. Oh, yes. Isn't that awesome? It's fucking great. Anyways. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's they still so get up there to where Oregon is. So I think Oregon, that was another thing that they passed after the fact. I don't remember which bill it was or whatever, but they had to limit the taxes because people went so crazy with it at first. But uh, uh, yeah, so they, I think now it's a maximum of 23%. So it's pretty, pretty outrageous. So if I remember right, it's 18% for the state and then it's like another the city can opt in for three percent and the county can opt in for another two percent or something like that it's some variation like that and uh, but i i think the total is 23 percent if i remember right something something close to that what's cali up to now steve oh they're raising everyone's taxes by 130 dollars a pound wow Yep. So good luck doing business there. I have a lot of really good friends there. And like, I just straight up, how do these people in the regulatory side expect these small farmers to be able to survive this shit? This is fucking crazy. But they don't. That's uh, I know. But I mean, like, really. you at least try and make it look like you give a shit. At least a little. They never have. Why should they now? Oh, well, usually at least they play pretend at least a tiny bit. Well, that was my thought about it with the fact that they all of a sudden legalized the CBD across the country. As far as I'm concerned, the guy that legalized across the country didn't have us in their mind. They had what's in their mind. Like Brooks said it earlier, man, I'm so sick of us them doing something that's so good for the people, you know, for our economy. We all knew if we could grow hemp that all the farms could come back alive. But what did they do? They legalized it across the board so they could regulate the dog shit out of it and press you down just like they have with tobacco and with corn and with everything else. So it makes it a bigger it? advantage for the high dollar corporate industry to take over and run us out. So we're going to all be back in the black market again. And the it's market. the same. I'm telling you, it's the same fucking racket. Because when did they do yep. it? When did they do it? They did it after they were like, oh, sure, it's legal. Go ahead. Go ahead, grow the shit out of it. Go for it. And they're like, okay, now you've got a huge harvest. Sweet. Nope, you're not going to be able to sell it. Sorry. Too bad for you. Here comes a little regulation. Good luck. Now we're going to shut a bunch of you motherfuckers down. And all of my friends are going to have a much better market because you guys aren't here. All my property values are going to go up because my regulations are going to have zoning involved. So all of my friends with all of the EFU land that they've inherited from their grandfather who stole it from someone is now gonna get three times richer because they can sell their property for literally three times as much money. I think that's only part of the story though. I don't think that's all there is to be said about it. I think that's what they wanna do with it. But I think sure. there's, there's still a movement, there's still small farms, not just one or two, but like one or 200,000 of them. There's thousands of farms everywhere, growing hemp everywhere. These yeah. people, I, I mean, agree. I know we're all subject to these regulations, but the thing is this, supply and demand is still in effect. People want to buy these products. Consumers are dying to get this stuff. They want it badly. 
I don't know how much they can suppress it in regards to that part of it. At least the consumers want it. I can't stop that. Oh, yeah, for sure. They and, and we know that for sure. I mean, they even tried to use the cops to stop it for years, right? Like, I mean, we know they can't stop it. Like, they can make it illegal and they can send some of us to jail, but they can't catch us all. They can't stop all of this. Like, it could even go back to being all the way illegal and they're never going to stop it. And I think that one of the things they may have done this time is open it up to so many people that are that that grew hemp that would have never grown cannabis. And I feel like it really expanded that sort of like base now into uh, into a level that I, I'm not sure that they can contain. You've got a lot of people here in Southern Oregon that harvested a lot of hemp and they can't do anything with it right now. And so it's, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people that are, that maybe <clears throat> would have never grown cannabis and now like, basically accidentally grew cannabis like some people you know tried to grow him and and literally just through inexperience um or overgrowing or whatever but ended up uh growing plants with too high thc content and so it it really becomes like you know, they, they get caught in some of those same ethical questions that I feel like maybe some of them judged other people for previously to this, you know, like it, it, it's, it's easy to want to say, you know, take the moral high ground and, and never sell anything on the black market or have anything extracted or do anything different when it's not your own $200,000 on the line or whatever it is, you know, like maybe some people are having to look at things from a new perspective and 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 that can really bring some people together in, in the long run. And maybe they didn't they didn't count on that because there's a whole there's a whole new level of pissed off um, at at regulations really uh, that um, that gave us a whole a whole new, the cannabis I guess movement or for for really just growing sustainable products. And, and, and having only realistic regulations that allowed small businesses to really exist and thrive in the, in the way that people want them to, uh, we, we've got a lot more people involved now. And I'm not sure that they, they really accounted for that. I hope they didn't account for that. And I hope that that's enough to keep them from doing what they've done in all of these other rackets. Um, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I, guess I'm a, I guess I'm cynical to a certain extent, um, you know, having been you know, essentially regulated out of my first house and moved here. And then, you know, that took like two years of working two jobs. And by the time I got here, now I can't even get a license. So, um, you know, I'll, I might be able to get one eventually, but it's all, it's all shut down right now. They're not giving out any new ones. So I can grow hemp, but I, I can't grow cannabis other than medical, which is much more limited in terms of scope. So to give you an idea, I can grow up to 48 plants on a plant count if I have six patients <clears throat> maximum and then I still have to do all the plant tracking and security cameras and all the stuff that they require you to have in Oregon to do all that stuff. So in contrast, you can follow roughly the same regulations and grow 5,000 square feet uh, in indoor space and I believe up to a, it's either a quarter acre or a half acre outdoor. So you don't have a plant count in your recreational. So your first tier, uh, it's 
I want to say like 1500 bucks or something like that. Uh, or it was anyway. Um, cause you, you can't even apply for it now. So I'm sure if they ever put another one, I guess, up for sale, or you can purchase them from other people, uh, which sort of makes them more like a commodity now that the state doesn't just hand them out to anyone. But it's definitely disappointing having, uh, you know, I guess, been a, a victim of being put off by regulation in that way to where, you know, we were, we were functional where we were under medical, um, not able to do recreational. And then we got medical shut pretty much all the way down. So we went from 48 plants down to 12 if you grow them inside for yourself. Um, so no outdoor. So now here I can do outdoor and indoor because um, I have better zoning. So jumping through their hoops, but sometimes their hoops take two years to jump through. And by the time you jump through them, you know, the market has, has moved you by. And that's really on purpose. I really feel like that's, you know, like, I, I really feel like that's something that they wanted to accomplish and did is, is put people out that don't have the money to just turn on a dime when new regulations come out. Um, in, in addition to making all their property values go up. So, you know, it was a, it was a rich man's game and the small, the small guy lost. We went from like 2000 plus medical growers here in Southern Oregon down to, you know, like maybe 50. I would say now medical grows around around Southern Oregon patients having to just go buy their stuff at the dispensary because they they can't even get a grower. It's almost like a favor that you do for someone to be someone else's grower now because it almost costs more money in in regulation and investment uh, to be able to get uh, everything that you need for the state. And the tracking is a huge pain in the ass. You have to put in estimates all the time into the tracking system. It's a seed to sale tracking system. So you have to get registered clones and you have to track them all the way through and report them to the state, I think once a month. And you have to do all these estimates and essentially you could just be off on your estimates and still get in trouble. You know, so it, uh, it really became much more of a, um, a difficult thing to be a grower for someone else and they definitely don't want you to profit off of it I mean, essentially their idea is is that you know if you want to be profitable you should be in in recreational cannabis which i i vehemently disagree with but i don't make state laws so i was gonna say if i can oh what happened there uh -huh. are you there oh um yeah. I was going to I was going to uh, bring this up when you know when I got around a little uh, my turn of discussing something or what's going on with me and it's kind of where you, we fought, fell into it with and Marty I'm so sad to hear I can't first of all believe that you don't have you were you're still in the same state but you had a license there but now you don't have a license because you moved I, that doesn't make sense to me first of all that's crazy and no so I can I can do medical the same way I was doing medical before so I can definitely oh, okay. do that. Um, so that that's not the issue. I can't get a recreational license, which would essentially be the same amount of investment, but a ton more growth space. So everything is lean towards, and plus I can sell the way more dispensaries. So the, the difference being that, let's say you're a medical grower and you grow quote unquote medical cannabis. You can only sell 20 pounds 
of your harvest to recreational dispensaries. The rest has to be sold to a medical dispensary. And there's only three for the entire state. <laughs> yeah, I got that. Yeah, I got that a while so ago. It's, it's just that it's everything is leaned heavily towards recreational. But so a lot of people uh, that still grow in the medical market actually choose to do just 12 plans. So you, if you do 12 plants or less, then you don't have to enter anything into the tracking system. You don't have to have any security cameras. You don't. So they just basically, they grow the biggest fucking 12 right. plants that you could ever think of growing. <clears throat> and that's how a lot of like the medicine that gets turned into like RSO and stuff like that, that gets given away for free. A lot of the, this, the still true medical environment growers who are, who are growing, um, you know, medically viable strains as opposed to just, you know, Girl Scout cookie or whatever is trending at the moment. So I do think that you, you still have that, that core, but that's basically where they've moved to is just, um, just doing what is still the minimal investment for the, the maximum amount of uh, plant material to make things like, right, right. you know, RSO or FICO or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, keeps them, keeps them from, yeah. Keeps them off the radar, so to speak. And they Brooke, just do Brooke had to go pee in his system. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> do what? I said Brooke had to go pee in his system. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Marty, I don't know. You might have missed that earlier, Marty, because you came in late, but we, we talked about, yeah, no, you were here when we talked. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was here. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. All right. Well, Good. it's getting pretty late, guys. I think we're going to wrap up the show. Um, I want to give a big thank you to Murray Holland for coming on the show and uh, check him out at um, uh, aquaponics.com.au, I believe it was. Uh, let me double check. I have all the links here. All the links in the, in the description and all that. So whatever format you're listening to. Or just to. type in aquaponics Murray on just about any platform. And I'm sure you'll get about 20 videos. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, He's got so some really great content. Okay, I got it in front of me. Practical Aquaponics. And then his website is aquaponics.net.au. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. Simple. And you can email him at murray at aquaponics.net.au if you got a question. Uh, and then um, also shout out to uh, Roger uh, from True Aquaponics. We'll, um, uh, you know, in the subscription that we're launching, uh, he had to run a little bit early, but. Uh, you know, a uh, big shout out to him. And uh, you can check out more information at him at trueaquaponics.com. He's also True Aquaponics on Facebook. A wonderful community. He pleases it. It's very friendly, very positive, very little negativity there. Uh, he doesn't tolerate it. So it's very nice. And um, yeah, you can find out more information about both the subscription service that should be up aiming for Friday, but don't quote me on that. If it doesn't get done by then, we're just finishing up and kind of making sure all the website back end works out well well before we put a ton of load on it so and um yeah uh, uh shout out thanks a lot for those guys and then uh why don't you tell everybody how to find you there marty oh yeah so you can find me um on youtube at ap meds you can find me on facebook in the aquaponic cannabis growers group always hanging out there uh so on patreon at ap meds on instagram at ap meds uh, so we've got the, the flower room mostly set up. I've got 
what I think nine nine out of twelve plants are set up. So uh, <clears throat> taking the first clones, I think I took them about three or four days ago. So those are starting to get to come through this weekend. I'll be building the scrog net, getting that all set up so that I can keep them trained. So I got them I got them topped and uh, super cropped over, and you know, dropping net down on top of them and uh, start to really spread those out. So uh, over the holiday weekend, I'll be getting that going and have videos up of that and we'll get that kicked into flower, hopefully by like the end of next week. Kind of depends, really want to, you know, I transplanted some larger plants into the system. So I really want to give them enough time to, uh, to get established before I flip them into flower. But they're all in dual root zone pots. We got uh, Thorsberry, which I've actually tried some flower of a while ago, but I've never been able to grow it. So I'm kind of excited for that. And then a new cross um, that a local breeder that I've, I've done a couple of different runs of before. Uh, I have, uh, it's pineapple by banana frost. So I'm kind of interested to see how that turns out. So check that out on YouTube at AP Meds or on Instagram at AP Meds. Awesome. What about you, Raja? But uh, I love growing marijuana.com and um, I also have uh, accounts at Facebook, uh, Instagram, and I believe um, I do have a YouTube channel, but I'm not sure what I named it, but it's what I have to use in order to put videos on Instagram. So I got some there. It might be Roger Latewood. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and one thing I wanted to discuss, but we don't have to discuss it now if, if you want to end the show, but uh, the, what I was getting at when we were talking about wrapping up the show before wrapping up the show was that here in Carolina, we've already gotten screwed over by the idea about um, that they've already changed the hemp bill. And what the difference is, is that SLED, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, got involved in the legislation of the bill, and it's been totally changed. So everything I told you guys about what we were doing with our hemp farm situation and the satellite farms that were under the license is all gone at by at the end of by the end of March. If you're in production, uh, they gave you grandfathered until the uh, let new legislation and the license will be issued around March 1st uh, for 2020. And then um, it's going to be all different. And, uh, and they've really raped the hell out of it, even though. So my question is just for everybody to think about for next time, then to cut this short, is that why should the state law enforcement division be involved in the agricultural commodity under be. the Department of Agriculture? They have no reason to be involved. They have no right to be involved. They, well, that's what I said, brother. But so we don't have to, because if we start talking about that now, you're not getting off the show for a while. No, I just, there's no. nothing <laughs> I have to talk about. It's just, it's just, they don't belong there. And that's literally all they yeah. to talk about. Yeah, I just wanted to get y'all all primed up for next time. I think about that so we can all have a hell of an argument about that. And I'll be checking. Right now I'm just still. focused on things that affect international stuff and, and big kind of stuff because half the farmers well it does affect the national because they do it from state you know, to state they're going to keep you know, doing it you know? but uh but half the country's hemp farmers just got basically kicked in the face so yeah right you know. anyway um yeah that's it with me and and brooke it was nice meeting you i don't know steve I, brooke would you i'd like to talk to you for a couple minutes because i missed the beginning of the show about who you know 
who you are and what you're doing. And real yeah. quick, if that's okay with you, Steve. Oh, I was going to say, Brooke, you know, what, 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 tell us about what, what you, or uh, uh, Brooke, uh, how do people find you and about your farm and all? Uh, yeah, well, um, we're, on, uh, we're on Facebook at Farming CBD Hemp Commercially. That's our big page. Uh, we have about 6,000 people over there. Otherwise, you can find me at Carolina Hemp Growers on Facebook. Uh, I got a couple of farm and garden supply stores called Lotus Farm and Garden. Um, just Google Brooke Sheffield. Google our stuff, man. You can find us. We're out there. We're on the show here with Steve every once in a while. And uh, yeah, man, we're having a good time. We're just happy to be here, guys. We appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. All right, well, uh, you guys, uh, I'm Steve. I know I never remember to tell anybody what my name is on any of the podcasts, which I noticed the other day, which is kind of funny. But uh, I'm Steve. You can find me at Potent Plunks on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, I Love Marijuana, uh, all the different places on the internet that we have this place posted up. And um, if you are going to be at... Um, Emerald Cup or at MJ BizCon. I will see you there. Um, yeah, I think that's Sounds about awesome. it for now. And uh, have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. I think we're going to not have a show on Thursday. I might do a quick short Q&A if I'm bored. Um, but uh, otherwise, we won't have a show on Thursday. And then we'll be back again on Tuesday. We'll catch you guys again later. Thanks again for watching. And thanks for your continued support. Cheers.